Hello everybody, welcome to Talking Siege here on the Rainbow Six ANZ channel. It has uh, been a long time since we've had a caster from overseas on the show, but Intero has made his way, gotten up early for us this morning, so we're pleased to have you along. Thank you, Parker, for joining us. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. Uh, lovely. So we've got a lot of stuff to run through tonight, but first I just want to say that uh, myself, Sky, and Cthulhu have been running this show for a really long time, and this is going to be the last episode on the Rainbow Six ANZ channel, so thank you to everyone who has been watching us over the last... How long is it? Has it been two and a half years? I think it's been about... Yeah, just about that, yeah. About two and a half years, so thank you to everyone who's been watching us during that time. If this is your first time watching Talking Siege, then, uh, well, you can go and watch all our previous episodes, but may as well stick here for now and uh, keep your eye on Rainbow Six ANZ for other content coming and make sure you, uh, you go follow all of it, the Twitters, as you can see on screen, uh, for some, uh, some of our own projects as well. But we've got a lot to get through tonight, so I think I really want to spend some time talking about you, Parker. Um, so firstly... Who doesn't? <laughs> Firstly, Parker, I'm sure you do as well, Parker. I'm sure you want to talk about yourself all day and all night. So, firstly, I'm happy to talk about myself as long as required. All right, great. So it's uh, it's early for, in the morning for you at the moment. You're currently in Katowice, Poland, where you cast the Pro League on a week weekly basis during the season. Can you please tell us about what it is that you do, who are you, and uh, where are you right now and, and with your career as well? Uh, so my name is Intero. Obviously, uh, I'm a pro league caster. Uh, I originally hail from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So it's nice to be a little bit of Canadian representation on, on a Canadian-made uh, video game. Um, we live in Katowice, Poland for, I would say, probably about four of the 12 months of the year, mostly because we only broadcast for about a month now due to this condensed schedule. Uh, we used to be here significantly longer, but now we have, instead of it being like a, a two-and-a-half-month season or two-and-a-half months, you know, half season i guess you could say we've now condensed it where we do three shows per duo a week which amounts to six shows total and then of course you folks do the the a and z portion of that and then you have the apac as well which uh portion which goes on the, the various regional channels um i've been casting rainbow six since june 2017 um i started in a very small league uh, that it was getting you know less than 10 viewers and it was never a career objective to get here or a personal objective, but uh, the reception was great, and I, I liked it a lot. Um, it sure beats the pants off of uh, <laughs> studying urban and regional planning, which was the original goal when I uh, when I got back into a uh, got back into school in September, and instead I got this nifty plane ticket to Poland. And I've been here ever since. Great. Well, um, before we keep going, I just want to say, anyone in chat, especially if you guys are part of the Intera gang, he says he, you shared it in Discord, did you? Um, so I'm sure you got a lot of your. Uh, minions in here. If you guys have any questions for Intero, because I'm sure you're always adding him on Discord and he can get away from them. Well, he can't get away from them here, so just dump him in chat and we'll force him to answer your questions. <laughs> it's inescapable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, feel free to abuse, uh, if you've got any subs in chat, feel free to abuse the uh, the Intero emojis as well. Um, so I, I wanted to, to touch on a little bit more about yourself and, and kind of your career, because casting is a major thing that you do, but you've also become quite the content creator and quite the influencer. Um, can you tell, talk a little bit about what that was like coming from when you started casting and, and to where you are now with uh, all the setups that you have and your streaming and your, your uh, content that you create? Well, it's wild to me because I wasn't really like a, a streamer or, and I didn't really digest a lot of content prior to, to getting into this. You know, I, I only started watching Twitch like maybe six months or so before 
I actively started casting and Twitch culture was really foreign to me. You know, like I embarrassingly didn't know what like Kappa and PogChamp and Forehead <laughs> and stuff like that meant. After I had already started casting Pro League, I still didn't know what those things meant because I was so, I guess, far removed from Twitch. Gaming was not really like my ecosystem. I came from, uh, I worked in the service industry, either as a server or a bartender, you know, while also putting myself through school. I worked in politics, which is what my major was in, and I did a lot of stuff there, which is as, politics is probably as far removed as you can get from the gaming <laughs> industry. And it's just, it's weird to me because I tried my hand at streaming when I got my gaming PC up and running because, you know, every kid wants to be a streamer. I feel like I am far removed from being a child, but at the same time, it's like, hey, this is neat. Why don't I try it? Streaming was not for me, which is so funny now that, you know, you, you call me like an influencer slash content creator, streamer, etc. I think the only reason why I've become that is it's almost reluctantly due to the platform that I have. Were it not for the fact that I'm a caster, were it not for the fact that I was basically handed an opportunity for people to want to watch me do things, I probably wouldn't be streaming or doing content creation because it's never really been a passion of mine. But now that I've gotten into it, I think it's really cool. And I think the best part of content creation is not just what you can do to a scene because you alone, can bring a new perspective to a scene. I mean, you guys do that all the time. Each one of you individually on your Twitters, on your own Twitches, on this Twitch in particular, Dev when you cast, and Sky and, and Cthulhu when you cast as well, or Dev rather when you do more analysis work now uh, with like the Pro League broadcasts like globally. And it's, it's cool to have people, have multiple people to look up to and say this one represents me best because maybe what I'm saying on controversial subjects or maybe my balancing ideas, et cetera, makes no sense and maybe they'll turn you know to to dev and they'll be like well you know i actually I, I align more with dev than anybody else that's really cool and the more variety the better so from that aspect i think content creation is cool and then additionally the, i think the best part of content creation realistically is that you get to make people's days better i stream often to make my own day better so it's nice to know that other people can feel that too Actually, on, on the topic, you did mention that when you got into it, you got presented with an opportunity. Could you maybe delve a little bit deeper on that, kind of explain how like you ended up getting that opportunity and how you ended up getting to casting, essentially, Pro League? Uh, I started casting a league that was called the Siege Contender Series, and that was also somewhat reluctantly. I was between jobs because uh, it, in... Canada, at least it's referred to as shoulder season, which is when it's it's after winter, it's spring, the patios aren't open, you know, restaurants are kind of at their low point because people have just finished Christmas shopping and a lot of people are, you know, New Year's resolutioning still, they want to eat less, they want to drink less. And then, you know, you're kind of warming up towards the summer, literally, pardon the metaphor as well. But it, typically you find yourself, you know, a lot of seasonal hires get let go. I had left my job because I didn't like it and I had enough money saved where I was like, you know, I can take like two, three months off. That's when I applied for school. I got into that urban regional planning part uh, and I was looking for a new job and I got it. But the problem was, is that they didn't need new hires until, you know, May or June. So I was like, okay, cool, whatever. I have nothing else to do. I had some friends that were in a league and the guy who originally was casting it, uh, like I said, the viewership was like five, six, seven people. It was nothing remarkable, mm. nothing, you know, to, to really fight over. His PSU stopped working, so they didn't have anybody to cast. And a friend of mine reached out to me, and I was like, sure. Like, I guess I'll do it. I'll try it. Um, and it was good. And the the people that tuned in liked it enough that word spread through North America very quickly that, hey, there's this guy that's like actually not bad at casting. 
And it sucks to have to contextualize this because I know it is kind of mean-spirited, but this was also at the time where Panky had just left. Hmm. The only people casting were Kicks and Bloodbath, and one half of that duo did not have the best reception and the best reputation amongst the community. So there was a desire amongst, I think, a good portion of the pro community and the viewership to try and find alternatives. And I kind of got in on the ground floor because there was like one other community caster at this point. Wasn't Tatis. there? I think that um, was it, right? Wasn't there also Emzo and uh, Milosh apparent, uh, uh, occasionally making appearances as well? Or am I mi mistiming it at some at some point as no, well? No, no, you're you're correct. Emzo was doing the previous online seasons and then did right. all the lands, but they had scaled back the amount of people who were casting, I whether it was because right. of stuff behind the scene or not. And then they were just running with the three. They're running with you know Panky, Kicks, and Bloodbath, and then Panky kind of departed really really suddenly mm. after the six invitational sometime in the spring and there was a hole that needed to be filled now emzo was doing challenger league at the time he was pursuing jobs outside of casting milos was having visa issues and he couldn't get a job on the pro league desk so he was working events but that was about it mm. and like i said there was one other like north american community caster which was tamies that was it other than emzo doing challenger league i ended up getting to a point where Pros started tuning into CCS and a variety of other matches. And then I started, I did a go for or two on my own channel. And I got the attention of people who said, give this guy a shot. He's, he's better than, than one half of the current duo that's operating at the moment. Why not try him out? And I ran and randomly ended up connecting with kicks one day on discord because I was trying to run a 10 mans. And I know that he had this automated system for when he did the pro tents. So I reached out to him and basically said, you know, what system do you use to assign 10 mans? I need this to be a quick process. And we just got, you know, chatting. And next thing you know, he goes, would you move to Poland? And I said, well, it depends on when. We became friends after we talked a couple of times. We, we gamed a bunch together. I barely knew him. And then he said, you know what? He goes, I, I'd like to cast with you if you'd like to come to Poland and I'll do what I can. And I said, sure, let's do it. And he appealed to the right people at Ubisoft and ESL and three months after I started casting in September 2017, I got offered a job from the uh, project manager in ESL Poland. Um, right. I'm sort of interested to ask you, um, obviously you mentioned that you get that massive opportunity. I know something I've dealt with a lot, you know, when you get that opportunity, um, I'm sure you have friends, family and people around you, you know, how do they sort of react to that? How do you sort of convince them? Because I know to a lot of, especially for me, family and friends, esports is quite a foreign concept. So to sort of be like, yo, I'm, I'm dropping everything. I'm, I'm going to Poland to do something that, that is obviously quite foreign to these people. How do you sort of explain that? And I guess sort of what was their reaction to you making this giant leap? Oh, they hated it. Um, they did not support it uh, at the beginning at all. Uh, my mother's take was, you know, finish school, go back, get your degree, etc. If you want to get into broadcasting, why not do this for a year and then go back to school and then come back to this? And I had to basically explain to her that you know, this is like catching lightning in a bottle. This is not going to happen a second time. Mm. I need to stick with this. You know, I'm not going to be able to go back. And I actually had a bit of a, a, a trial run at this before because in 2014, I dropped out of my university degree at my very final year because I was so burnt out. I was overloaded with work. I was working full time to pay for my schooling while doing a full course load while also doing extracurricular work and working down at the legislature uh, doing political work. Jeez. So I was, I was, totally worn out and I had almost no room on my schedule and I was doing that for about two two and a half years uh, probably the toughest two years of my life in terms of like actual workload and 
my parents fought with me for the final year, basically saying like, go back for one more year, go back for one more year. I relented and I went back for one more year, which was 2013 to 2014. And at the tail end of that one, which was then going into my final year, I said, I'm done. I'm going to take some time off. And I basically fled. I dropped everything. I quit my job. I quit all my political work. I quit all my campus work. I I, I postponed technically, deferred my degree. And I moved about 3,000 some odd kilometers west into the mountains in Canada. And I worked there for two years. So I'd already kind of had like this soft trial run where I basically just told my parents, like, I don't care what you say. I'm still right. going to leave anyway. So when this came up and my parents were like, we don't think you should do this, blah, blah, blah. I think they knew like he's just going to do the same thing he already did, which is where he's going to be like, I don't care what you think I'm leaving and you guys can deal with it, which is basically I didn't have to do that because they were like, this is a cool opportunity. Why not take it? Let's see where it goes. And it took about a year and a bit until I think my mother was truly approving of the choice. <laughs> my dad was more likely to be on side, but he has his, he has his worries as well. Mm. But I think my mother now is like she tunes into as many of my Twitch streams as she can. You know, she follows me on Twitter. Like she keeps abreast of all of it. She follows the pro scene now, too. And I, it's been like a remarkable transformation. And really, it's just your parents need to trust you. And you need to work as well to convince them that this is a real job. This is a real industry. People make lots of money. People make good money. People make full careers out of this. And it's only growing. That's the big thing, too. A lot of people don't know about it because it's still so new. In 20 years time, this is gonna be as legitimate of a business as we see real television broadcasts. I'd say we're almost already there, but it's just gonna to continue to grow from here on out. So it's understandable that they think it's foreign now, but give it time and I think a lot of their their fears and worries will be uh, reassured. I mean, a whole lot of actually broadcasts, um, at least I know for stuff like League of Legends is being already broadcasted on like ESPN. Uh, there's um, a few of the broadcasts. Even Siege was actually broadcasted on um, satellite TV um, here in New Zealand as well. Um, yeah, in Brazil yeah, too. We got uh, our the finals of Sao Paulo, and I believe the finals of Rio were both broadcasted on oh, really? uh, Brazil, Brazilian television. Yeah, because I remember we had to delay one of the matches because the television crews couldn't get there until like 5 <laughs> o'clock or something like that, if I remember correctly. It was either Sao Paulo or Rio. I can't remember which one it was. Also, don't know if I'm supposed to say that out loud. So I don't know if I just broke something. But oops, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that. But uh oh, I'll get you out of it by pivoting you with another question. Um, so I, I wanted to to touch on since you've talked so much about, um, especially kind of the trials of of getting to where you are now. I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there looking up. At, at casters looking up at the pro league scene just as you looked up no doubt to the casters before you and other people in the industry before you and i'm sure that there are a lot of people saying i want to know how to get where he is i want to know what kind of pathways are available what kind of things you can pursue and with such this a cinderella story with so much you know like you were saying there's a lot of luck there's a lot of skills a lot of hard work a lot of circumstance that plays into it sometimes it might be a do as i say not as i did kind of scenario so I was hoping, is there any yeah. advice that you would give to someone who's looking to make a career in the, let's say, the Rainbow Six Esports broadcasting uh, space? Um, I think a lot of it is, sadly, it's going to come down to where you live. You know, there's geography makes a huge difference. Um, you know, I, it, it's really tough if you're not near or capable of moving to the place that you need to be. You're going to be hindered no matter how talented you are. I still think there's tons of potential in Rainbow Six. So like I said, my story is, I think is very unique. I came in on like kind of like this perfect storm of 
you know, the, the pro league broadcast was not going the way people wanted it to. There was, you know, movement for change. I came in at a time where there was nobody really else vying for the job, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the case for people anymore. I think we actually have a surplus of talent when it comes to big events, you know, look at an event like, you know, the, the Raleigh major that we just had, right? You've got three yeah. analysts, one of whom rotates out. You've got one desk host, you've got four casters in the group stage. You have six, right? So, but you look at the people that we have as casters, Flynn Emzo. Emzo's mostly doing telestration now. I think he's damn good at that. So maybe there's an extra spot on open as a caster. You got Blue Stokes, you got me and Kicks. But then you got guys in the EU, like Demo and Fluke. You got guys like Sternem. You got guys like Ace and XR Troika. You got Desichu as well in his floating position. So it's like, where do these where do these people go? You know, like we we have too much talent. Then you look at ANZ and you have the three of you. You know, you have Raven, you have uh you have a uh, monkey fist like you have in in southeast asia you know you have infian like there's so much talent that's coming up and that's not even including all of the na challenger league casters that's not even including all the other uk talent and the eu talent that i know i'm forgetting and i don't mean that personally it's it's really tough to make it i think the big thing is what will carry you more now is number one how hard you work and how you present yourself rainbow six has a significant issue especially with the fact that it's a younger crowd with people kind of acting like jackasses on social media, you know, present yourself in a mature fashion. And I hope I'm allowed to say that, uh, <laughs> present yourself in a mature fashion, take your, you know, treat yourself accordingly. I, I will say this, the ESL UK prem guys, they have for the most part, excellent social media because they are very mature. They're well-spoken. They're funny. They got that telltale UK banter. You know, I think a lot of those guys, the way that they tweet, they could even be a little bit more racy. I think they're kind of safe, brand safe, maybe a little too brand safe, but they can still be a little bit racier and I think get away with it. But if you do that and kind of act as like this, this older, mature and experienced voice, which somebody like, I think Desichu fills that role up very, very well. And I like desichu has got more broadcasting experience with the exception of like the main four, like Emzo, Milos, myself and Kicks. He has more broadcasting experience than I, I think almost any other caster with the exception of the ANZ guys in the main three regions. But I don't think people know that Des came from from Overwatch and has quite a bit of experience and he's very polished. But because I think he's newer to the scene, he doesn't adopt that like mature father figure role in the community, but I definitely think he can. I think he can I think he has the ability to be more of a voice of reason in the community, but he is a little isolated and he's he's also got some other stuff on the side, so he doesn't always just cast. But I think maul yourself off of that. And then the other thing too is it's like just be really damn good, which I know is so silly to say. But if you are truly a, you know, an A plus top tier caster with tons of potential, you will climb very quickly. Doesn't matter where you live. You will climb very quickly, providing you are willing to relocate, possibly to Katowice, Poland, possibly to anywhere else, depending on where there are LAN events, if you want to work regional leagues, etc. You will climb very quickly. And it's tough because there's so many people that I think are about like the same level right now in the amateur scene. And... North America in particular, and, and I know that this is going to hurt a lot of NA casters' feelings, I, I don't see the same potential there that was there a year and a half ago. You know, a year and a half ago, you had guys toiling down there like Stokes and Flynn, and I don't see a new Stokes and a Flynn down there yet. Maybe mm -hmm. one day. If you are good enough, you will climb very easily because there is tons of opportunity and there's a hunger for more experienced casters or, or more talented casters amongst the more experienced casters. So... It, the two things to take away from that work really, really hard, constantly get feedback, 
watch a lot of other broadcasters. I watch a lot of esports and I watch a lot of traditional sports. I had no formal training when it comes to this kind of thing. I think the only reason why I stood out was because I could emulate people like Buck Martinez from the MLB, you know, Doc Emmerich <laughs> from the NHL. Like I, I know the way that broadcasters sound. I listen yeah. to them a lot and, it, and you have to be very keenly aware of that. And the other thing too is just take yourself seriously on, on social media and don't have, don't have a, you know, crummy tweets. Don't go chasing clouts. Don't, don't tweet silly things until you're established. Cause Lord knows I tweet enough stupid stuff for, for all four of us here. <laughs> Actually, um, with uh, you mentioning Des and how he used to cast Overwatch and everything, we actually have um, our own caster in, uh, for NZ Pro League Manic. He came from Counter Strike and pretty much got a pretty uh, pretty good traction because his play by play was actually very very good, comparative to even like the four main uh, well the four main casters like between me dev sky monkey fist and yeah. my question here is do you reckon that for pe uh, people coming from other disciplines would have in some way an advantage when coming to siege say if you casted i don't know cs overwatch anything like similar to like a first person shooter but coming into something a little slightly different of a setup do you reckon this will be much more beneficial than starting off fresh from Rainbow Six and trying to move up there? Oh, way more beneficial. Overwatch and CSGO are both, uh, I would say, obscenely more competitive than us. Um, CSGO in particular, if you can hang in the CSGO scene, even as like a tier three caster, mm. you're going to shine in most other esports because of just how deep a bench CSGO has. Um, I actually forgot Manic. He casted uh, along with Monkey Fist and you, Dev, at the uh, APAC qualifier finals. He was, yeah, he stood out really well. I think he and Raven are, are both very, very talented. And I only name them both because they are both relatively new. I know that Raven announced that he was going to be focusing on, on casting full time. I, I thought that he and Manic have both impressed me over the last, you know, like six-ish months that I've that I've heard and, and listened to some of their casting. Um, so apologies for, for forgetting about him. I can't believe he slipped my mind. Um, but yes, I think that's a good question. And I think it's, it's absolutely correct. You know, Overwatch in particular, Blizzard is very, very tough on what they deem acceptable on broadcast. Their standards are insanely strict about the things you can and can't say, the amount of humor you can and can't inject, the way that you use certain wordings and the way that they almost police your language. You know, you remember for yeah. those that follow Overwatch, you couldn't call it goats. You had to call it three, three or whatever the heck else they, they wanted you to call it. Whereas we don't really have that. I've never really taken marching orders as a Rainbow Six caster. And I've been given a lot of leniency as to what I can and can't say. I've never pushed the envelope, I will say that much. But I'm probably sure I could push the envelope and not get reprimanded for it. Whereas in a you know a scene like Overwatch, I think you would. I think if you don't toe the line in Overwatch, you don't have a long lifespan there. Whereas CSGO, it's, it's a very different story. CSGO is much less brand safe. You have lots of leniency and latitude to say whatever you want. But because so many people play Counter-Strike and because I honestly believe that the CSGO casters are miles and miles ahead of every other esport as the best talent in all of esport, you have, you have a high level to aspire to. You have great talent to look up to and emulate. And because CSGO is such a global game and is so old, if you can hang in tier three, like I said, in CSGO, you're going to be close to tier one in almost any other esport. So yeah, coming from another scene, 
gives you a massive leg up. Okay. I wanted to um, chew back onto some of the other the other other things I had prepared with, um, like you were talking about your career earlier um, and kind of that trajectory that you've had. I thought it'd be nice to have a, a bit of a moment for you to kind of reflect and tell us a little bit about what you would consider some of the big milestones for you, um, because you've talked about where you started and, and some of the steps on the way to get here. But uh, as a caster who's now had several years of experience casting at the tier one of Rainbow Six, you've casted some of the biggest events. What are the ones that really stand out to you? What are those big milestones? Were there any moments, even fairly um, you know humble moments, that made you think, "Wow, this is a this is really something." Uh, something to think about and something to remember. Uh, I think the biggest moment in my career will always be the very first SI. Um, getting to go to Ubisoft HQ and actually see what it was like, get to meet Alex Remy, uh, getting to meet Epi, you know, Justin, all them, and actually get to like experience all that and then immediately pivot to um, the actual event itself, which, you know, in my opinion, still holds to this day the distinction of the greatest match of Rainbow Six that we've ever seen. Um, to be able to stand on that stage as somebody who had been casting Pro League for all of two months, because keep in <laughs> mind, I came in at the end of September. I cast it from like September 26th till like November 3rd. And then we did the Sao Paulo finals, which were a tire fire, if you recall, with everything burning down on the first day. Um, we had like three and a half hours of delays uh, computers were breaking, you know, there, it was raining, the venue was leaking, and that was like a trial by fire. And then immediately after that, to then go to SI, I had only been casting uh, professionally for two months at that point. And I was entrusted alongside Kicks to do the finals of SI 2018 as a Canadian, standing on Canadian soil, casting a Canadian in the grand finals, with the great storyline that we had of a North American team to hear the crowd backing them by a Canadian made company. It was like, it filled me with, with this sense of like pride. And I'm not by no means like a guy who believes in like that whole national pride and stuff like that. I think that's hogwash, but it was still like <laughs> kind of like endearing. Um, that was a huge thing for me. And I don't, I hate that it happened so early in my career because I don't know if it'll ever be topped. So I think it's all downhill from here. But I would say that probably the next closest was when Ubisoft reached out to me to immortalize me in the behind the siege series. You know, at that point, I'd been in the game for about a, a year because they reached out to me in like October, November 2018 and basically said, like, we want to honor you alongside, you know, eight other people with, you know, artwork and uh, basically like an interview slash mini bio. And, you know, that was it was it was something else. And it's like I, I don't remember if you were on the floor when mine came up, James, but I was staying next to Zeronic on the floor while it was playing in the venue and it was just like I was standing next to Zeronic and I was just like watching it and at one point it got like emotional and I had to turn away and Zeronic mm -hmm. put his arm around me and he just goes it's crazy what esports does eh and I just like kind of nodded and he goes he goes you earned it buddy and he patted me on the back and I just like I started like very quietly crying on the floor and then I had to compose <laughs> myself because I had to cast the next match which was coming up in like five minutes so I didn't even really get to like savor it I was like standing there watching the video and I was like damn, I got to get right back up there. So that was, that's probably like the second biggest moment for mm. me, I got to say, was, was that. And I'm, I am, uh, I'm, I'm speechless, like thinking about the importance and significance and the fact that I was somebody that popped to mind for, you know, this huge video game company. And then the third biggest was a childhood dream of mine. I've always wanted to go to E3. I, uh, I used to grow up uh, during recess in school, reading Electronic Gaming Monthly, Nintendo Power, you know, PC Gamer, et cetera. Oh, um, <laughs> and 
I I always would wait in, you know, because E3 was always June. We'd drive up to the cottage. It was a four, four-ish hour drive from Northern Toronto up to the cottage every summer. And we'd always stop at a gas station. And I would, my parents would always buy me whatever gaming magazines were in there <laughs> so that for the four and a half hour drive, I would read EGM or whatever in the car just to keep me quiet. And I'd always flip through it. And I'd see all the new upcoming games. And I always say to myself, like, I'm going to be in E3 one day. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go. I'm going to experience it. And, you know, Ubisoft reached out to me and they said, we want to invite you to do it. And we want you to cast a show match. And I was like, that's super cool. And then two days before the event, I'm talking to Epi and I made a comment to him about like, am I going to be in, I'm going to be in the theater. I was like, you know, to watch the actual like thing. I think that's going to be really cool. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, you can't. You have to do rehearsals. He's like, we need you on the backstage. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. And I was like, wait, rehearsing for what? Like I'm, I'm casting a show match. There's nothing to rehearse. And he looks at me and he goes, homie, you're doing the Rainbow Six portion of the E3 conference. And I was oh. like, pardon, <laughs> pardon me? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I don't know if I was clear enough in the email. You are presenting the Rainbow Six portion of it. <laughs> We're standing in the back lot two days before the event in LA. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so not only to get to go to E3, to experience something that was a childhood dream, but to actually be in the conference itself was just utterly mind-blowing. <laughs> and those are probably, in, in my opinion, the three biggest career milestones that, that I've hit so far. And uh, if there's one thing that I take away from all that, it's that I don't think I think your parents have finally come to terms with the fact that they just can't keep you quiet anymore. A magazine's not going to no, cut they, it. They cannot. You have the no. internet now. It's out. <laughs> if anything, the magazine gave me skills that I would use later in life to be louder. So, great. Um, okay. Since we've talked about some of your your biggest achievements <laughs> and your proudest moments, I thought it'd be good to kind of touch on the fact that. To, I think outsiders, it might look like everything is very glamorous, but there are there's a lot of challenges. Things can be difficult. You have really, really long days for broadcasts, which is, um, I mean, all of us right here on the panel know. Um, you have a lot of travel, can be traveling quite far. Um, there's a lot of work. I, what, what time is your broadcast, your next broadcast? What time of day, local time, is your next broadcast? Uh, it's at 7 p.m., so 7 it's not that bad. Uh, we're working the same schedule, so we're working. Kix and I do 7 p.m. on Mondays, uh, 10 p.m. on Tuesdays, and then technically technically Wednesday nights, but it's technically 2 a.m. Thursday yeah. morning for NA. So, so we have kind of like this sliding schedule downwards. So broadcast can be any time of day for you, especially when you're casting leagues on the opposite side of the world to you. Um, Talk a little bit about what kinds of challenges and, and how do you deal with them and, and what does it kind of take to get through those? Well, I mean, I've always had a pretty brutal sleep schedule. So for me, it's actually not as hard as other people. Um, some of the USN guys struggled really hard with, uh, you know, being awake at night, uh, especially in Katowice. Uh, not to slag off on the city because obviously Katowice is a, a great place and I, I have no objections being here. But it's it's not exactly an international or global city. So, you know, your ability to communicate with people outside of speaking Polish is is very low. Um, <laughs> and in fact, there's you know, it's not even that it's that there's a huge portion of this city that is like resentful of the fact that you speak English, mm. um, which has given me a new perspective. You know, I've never been a racist or xenophobic person. I've never been the kind of guy to be like, you know, you're in Canada, speak English like a lot of other people are. <laughs> But it has definitely given me a new perspective on the discomfort that I'm sure new Canadians feel when they can't adequately speak the language that they're expected to speak 
and it's it's been an eye opener and i think it's something that there would be a lot more compassion and understanding if you know you took people that have been accustomed to speaking you know their native tongue and never experienced anything else and dropping them into the middle of a country where they can't communicate and just have them feel that level of like it's like shame and guilt and embarrassment when you can't communicate with them you know and and, and it kind of shapes your like your your tendencies when you go out as well like for example like our grocery store opens at 6 a.m i'm always going at 6 a.m why because it's the lowest likelihood of me having to interact with people so i don't <laughs> have to be put in a weird position where it's like i can't speak the language you speak so i'm like i, I feel like really weird about it you know like i don't want to be a burden and i feel like a burden all the time but um the schedule is really something else um once i got blackout curtains easy mode i can stay awake and sleep whenever i want and it's not a big deal um, do I miss having a routine where I wake up at 8 a.m. and I get to have my morning coffee and or even earlier and watch the sunrise and then, you know, like have a normal day and be alive when normal people are alive? Like, yeah, I definitely do miss that. Um, Katowice, in addition to not being a global city, also shuts down at like nine o'clock. So oh, yeah. that's that's especially problematic <laughs> when you're waking up around that time and you're awake until like 10 a.m., you know, so that's a major challenge is you're awake when nothing is open and there's nothing to do and when i say nothing is open i mean that there's like a couple bars and like pizza places that do delivery and that's it and it's like oh, wow. the, it's like the dead around here nobody's out nobody's walking around nothing like you can go to bars sure but i mean like what are you gonna go you're gonna go drink and you're gonna talk to a bunch of people who speak polish you can't communicate with them so it's it's certainly a challenge um it makes it also a, a headache to try and uh, plan with friends back home because you never really know, as I'm sure you can all relate, you never really know like when you're going to be going home. You know, I, I can literally be getting a flight booked four days before I'm flying home. And it's like, oh, I guess I'm going home now, you know, or, oh, I guess I'm going to this event now. You don't always have the luxury of, of having a heads up. So the schedule is by far and away the most brutal part, especially now with like health worries, trying to adhere to a proper diet and eating well. You know, it, it's, it can be challenging, but uh, I see it as a challenge worth tackling head on. And I, I want to rise to that because I think it'll make me stronger in the long run. Um, but uh, it definitely could be a, uh, definitely could be a better situation where we're working on the hours that we actually, you know, broadcast on instead of working four of six shows a week, which are in the dead of night. Hmm. Um, since we talked a lot about your career from the genesis of your casting and where you came before that um i wanted to to move and talk about what your aspirations are for the future because i think a lot of people might look at you and be like wow that's a tarot he's made it but i'm sure that yourself you, you have a lot of ideas of where you want to move going forward and, and what kind of achievements you want to accomplish that you haven't touched on yet and so i thought it'd be great to to give you some spotlight and, and kind of understand what's going on in your head um, I never really expected to kind of get into this position. I fell into it. So I'm assuming that I will probably fall into my next occupation should casting burn to the ground at some point. Um, I don't really have like a long-term thing. I can tell you right now that as a 29-year-old who does in some respects have a goal of maybe having a family at some point in my life over the next five to six years, I will probably want to settle down in a more permanent location because I don't anticipate I will be living in Katowice for the rest of my life. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to live in Europe for the rest of my life. You know, I, I think that there's obviously benefits to this continent, but North America is very much home and I miss it quite a lot when I leave, despite the fact that I am very well aware of all of its drama. It's almost like Stockholm syndrome. It's like you leave NA and it's like, 
you know that it's like it's just like North America just has so many things that are just like objectively worse than Europe. But it's like <laughs> you don't care. You don't care. You don't care because it's yours and it's comfortable. Yeah, it's so, home. Yeah, yeah, it's home. And like I said, it's like Stockholm syndrome. It's like you leave, but you don't want to leave. You can't leave. You've convinced yourself you have to stay. Um, it is literally Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. Um, but no, I mean, looking long down down the road, I'd like to ideally have a family at some point. I, you know, I, I don't know how strong of a feeling that is. It's growing as I get older, which is frightening. Because like when I was like 24, 25, I was like, I don't want to have kids. I just want to travel. And I'm 29 and I'm like, yeah, I've traveled a lot. I've traveled around the world in terms of mileage seven times in the last two years. I think Jesus. I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good. Um, <laughs> I would like to, at some point have more, not a nine to five job, but one that, you know, lets me sleep during the night and wake up during the day and is in a, is in a location where I can, I can call home and I can get used to the streets around me and the stores around me. And I can maybe buy a car or a bike because right now I view this as very temporary. You know, I, 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 I'm not really investing anything in here. I haven't really bought anything. So my house is like quite sparse and it's not like, that's not the kind of way I want to live. Um, in regards to career objectives, I like casting a lot. I don't particularly want to stop. Um, I'm aware that casting brings with it certain challenges, uh, that would uh, run directly counter to what I just specifically said about my long-term goals. But, uh, I, I think what I would like to do and what really interests me is once casting runs out, let's say that well runs dry and there's no more casting opportunities ever, or I'm past my prime and, you know, I'm old and washed. I would like to ideally get into something like content creation, something like, you know, Rooster Teeth or Achievement Hunter, that kind of thing, where, you know, you're situated in a location, you work with funny people, uh, you produce good content that, you know, whether it be journalism, whether it be, you know, uh, videos, long form content, etc. That kind of thing really interests me. And I did a, an event for IGN a couple months ago in San Francisco. And I just like saw the office and like people are just like hanging around, you know, like they're, they're just like, they're drinking coffee, they're drinking beer, they're talking about video games, they're playing video games. And I'm just like looking at all this and I'm like, damn, this seems like the life. You know? <laughs> like, I'm sure they're, I'm sure it's not all, you know, glitz and glamor, but like, you know, then they'll, they'll be like working on a script and then they'll go and they'll shoot it and they'll have like long form content and they still have their platform and they still have that notoriety and they still have the ability to stream and do all that jazz and, and, you know, be, you know, public figures. But it's just like, it seems like they have so much fun. And like when I said, like when I see things like achievement hunter slash rooster teeth, when I see like Funhouse, I look at all of it and I'm like, those seem like cool people. They seem like people I would get along with. It seems like the type of thing that they do is awesome. You know, I've talked to Alfredo uh, from Achievement Hunter at Slash Rooster Teeth at uh, the last Invitational. He's an awesome dude. I, I'm like, these guys seem like cool people. This is what I'd ideally like to do. And it will also allow you to settle down, which which goes hand in hand with what I'm looking for in, you know, like five, six, seven years time. So would it be something that you would consider like either um, an in-home job or something like that you can do from home? Or would you prefer rather to uh, work at something that is an office area, but it's still going to be something like you described in IGN, where it's like semi-casual, where you get to do a whole bunch of fun stuff as well? I mean, I think you could do both. Like you look at a lot of those guys that, that work these, like they'll go to their studio because a lot of the times it's not like an office. It's more like a studio. They'll go to their studio and they'll report, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll record and perform content. Um, they'll work like pretty close to nine to five. Sometimes they're there longer. Sometimes they, they don't have to work cause there's not that much to do. 
but then they also have the leeway to do their own content. Most of them are Twitch partners. You know, most of them have content that they do on YouTube. Mm. Um, you know, I look at somebody like a, a, the career trajectory wise is like Alana Pierce. You know, I think that she's worked at a huge swath of places and done content creation on Twitch. I think she streams on YouTube now and she does YouTube content and she gets great traction and it seems like she has a great time. Um, and it doesn't look like she works that much. It looks like she works a lot, but I see some of these, some of these guys and gals working like seven days a week, you know, 12, 14 hours. I mean, I like that I can go and cast three days a week and have like a real job, real job to <laughs> fall back on. But then I can also stream and I'm very fortunate to have a big enough stream where it's like, it's almost like a second job, but I don't treat it as such because I have a, a real job. And that's what my focus goes on to. So okay. if I don't stream for, you know, three months from end of July till Christmas, I think I streamed like eight times last year. That's it. Like that would kill oh, wow. any full-time streamers entire career. Like, you know, if, if shroud just stopped streaming, and he streamed, you know, obviously not that I'm comparing myself to shroud, but like, if you're somebody like that, and you just stop streaming. Like that's like, that's not going into work for six months. Right? Like, a lot of people can't do that. They don't have the luxury to do that. I'm fortunate enough to do that. So I think being able to go to like a studio and then still do work from home, I think is like, it's the dream. And right now I have that and I very much say I'm living the dream, but who knows what will happen in the future. Yeah, and I guess the you've gotten where you are because you've taken every opportunity that's come your way and decided how you want to handle that. And I think that's just going to continue on in the future as well. Thank um, you. I, I wanted to, to talk about Pro League as well. Season 11 has begun for all of the four main regions um, and all the sub-regions at APAC, including. Um, so I think we wanted to go through some of the results and uh, have a bit of a discussion about... Um, we've had a couple upsets, so I think pretty interesting stuff to talk about and kind of see where we're at, what we're feeling, especially because, you know, these four weeks of Pro League um, in January for the first split of season 11 are really going to, I think, give us a bit of information going into six invitational of what things are going to look like there when the teams do clash. So, um, Sky, do you want to go through some of the pro league results? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think we'll start off with, with Europe. Um, so for play day one, we're just going to run through all of the results first. Um, and then after we're going to really break it down and have a discussion about it. Um, so for play day one, we had fours, seven, three, Navi. G275 BDS, Rogue75 Chaos, Empire71 Vitality. By day two, we had Empire73 um, BDS, uh, Rogue uh, Drawed with Na'Vi, Vitality75 G2, and Chaos754s. Um, so, guys, what do we think about that? Uh, what were the score lines that we found interesting? Um, what were the upsets? Um, I've spoken enough, so I'm more than happy to take a back seat <laughs> and, let, and let you three delve into it, and I can just kind of provide my thoughts when needed or even closer towards the end. I mean, we, we did get you on so you could speak, Parker, so don't feel like you need to <laughs> I'm not, shut I'm up not... anytime soon. All right. Well, I'm mean, not getting out of this, then. You're, no, you're still speaking uh, at a much lower percentage of when you do your own Just Chatting stream, so consider this <laughs> an true. easier job. Um, That's true. And you were casting some of these matches, so I guess maybe we can start did, giving yeah. kind of our, our thoughts on some of these and then uh kind of feel free to jump in and steal the conversation whenever you like um yep uh cthulhu sky is there any particular one you wanted to jump in i mean i didn't manage to uh catch a whole bunch of games but probably the biggest um, standout for me is the fact that empire ended up getting a pretty swift win against vitality who on the second play day 
got a 7-5 against G2. And I'm still at, at the question is like, G2 is a pretty respectable team. Like, all of these players are fantastic. But I've seen like on a few posts on Twitter, a few posts on Reddit, RG2 becoming washed. And I'm kind of at the point is like, not really, but at the same time, the results are they keep on degrading. Any thoughts on that? It's, I mean, it's hard because they beat BDS on the first play. Yeah. And BDS, so they, they, they still they still good, but yeah, I mean, BDS won the uh, the qualifier, the, the European qualifier for six invitational. Yeah. It's I think that something that happens is when you have pro league and you're, they're all best of ones, especially because in in contrast to APAC, all of these regions, uh, Europe, North America, and Latin America, they just play each team plays one best of one. You know, imagine you wake up in the morning, you do all your practice, your scrims, whatever it is, your warm up, and then you play for one hour, and that's it. So sometimes these results do swing in strange ways. We have teams that perform really well in best of threes in the online qualifiers, for example, BDS. Then they haven't won a game so far in the Pro League. And is that partly what's happening with uh, with G2? Or have the results, the negative results that we've had for G2 become consistent enough to now warrant us actually saying that they, they are no longer even kind of in the upper echelon of EU? Actually... Um, pardon, I'll, I'll barge in a little bit. Uh, Flux, I'm currently in the chat, who's uh, one of the coaches for um, uh, Wildcard, and um, he actually makes a pretty decent point that it's it's the best of one. And a fair few people, actually, within at least ANZ scene, have been preaching, saying that best of ones, to a certain degree, don't really warrant to show how good of a team can be, comparative to, like say, something like best of three. It, it can be hard to to make comparisons because I think in the end of last season, you know, we saw... I feel like most people looked at Na'Vi and Giants coming out of that, Na'Vi and Rogue now, and said they, they, they deserve those spots. You know, Empire and G2 didn't have consistent enough results. And I think these these best of ones really do favor uh, or reward that consistency and also a lot of prep going into individual matches. But... Um, I think even in other regions as well, we've seen team. You know, the teams that end up looking like the best in the region perform well in best of ones. Yes, they might have a hiccup here or there, but you have fourteen matches that you get mm. to go through in order to to prove yourself. Hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think another storyline that's that's pretty interesting is Navi, who, um, obviously just won Tokunami Japan. Um, and to come back into EU Pro League um, and to obviously losing their first match versus fours um, and then drawing um, on play day two versus Rogue. Um, I guess it's already shown pretty initial troubling signs for them um, and not being able to set per se carry that performance over. Yeah, um, the fours Navi game was really, really entertaining. I found that it was the first game, I think, of season 11, full stop, because EU um, was the first day to, to be streamed, and and fours on their roam clears on Clubhouse looked incredibly strong, and it's difficult to, to poke holes in, in Na'Vi, because in EU especially, when a team, a good team, doesn't perform, I think it's just as much their opponent who's really, really stepping up and doing an excellent job as fours did against Na'Vi, and that's the... Uh, that's the really difficult thing with Europe is every single game, it's like two tier one teams playing against each other and you never know which way it's going to go. I think that's really the story of Europe. Um, I mean, I've, 
I've taken heat from various regional fans before by saying that Europe has been the most competitive region in Rainbow Six for like seven seasons now. Um, there's very rarely a you know an, an undisputed weak team, even a team like Sisu, who mm. unfortunately through the second half of last season lost every game like five seven. I still think they're probably top four in, in almost every other region, and they finished you know dead last by a, a mile in EU. Um, and I've even said, you know, and we got to see it at the Raleigh Major. I've even said that EU Challenger League teams would be better than half of most regions in Pro League. Um, and that's obviously been been pretty unpopular. Uh, but I don't really, <laughs> I'm not trying to earn popularity points with those kinds of things. You know, sometimes you have to kind of face the truth and face the facts. And, you know, we're looking at a team like BDS who, you know, seemed like world beaters. They came in and, you know, they they earned the qualifier spot. They dismantled Secret in the, in the SI quals. You know, they... They did well at DreamHack Montreal. They made top four, and now they're struggling. And I can't help but think that getting rid of Panics has not just been a, a distraction, <laughs> but also significantly eroded their skill level. I think Alems is a talented player. I don't think he's as good as Panics. I think Panics was their second best player. For whatever reason, the second time now, we've seen Panics get dropped, not over performance. And that's a major problem for these teams because you have a player like Panics who clearly something is going on behind the scenes there that is affecting the team. And maybe maybe he's a distraction, who knows? But there is definitely less fragging potential on BDS because of him. Navi, they're not winning their gunfights. One of the best things that Navi had going for them in their entire, you know, the Cinderella story that we saw through the last half of season 10 when Navi had to play like Empire and G2 and like Giants at the time and like all these top teams to get to Tokenami and not only did they play them all but they beat them all which completely defied most people's expectations a big part of that was because Navi every single player including Pi was landing their shots they were winning their gunfights not only did they lose strategically on Clubhouse to Fours as you mentioned but they also seemed scared. They didn't take gunfights. In the second play day, they drew Rogue. Now, Rogue is a good team online. They always are. They're a good land, they're a good online team. They're a terrible land team. Navi comes in, and even then, against a good group of players on Rogue, some of Navi's rounds they threw away by just missing gunfights. And I don't know what's going on with Navi, but they're just they're not the same aimers where it's like you're almost afraid to take fights against them because you'll get punished for peeking them. That seems to have been, you know, that seems to be gone. G2, um, I think if you go back to the Paris Major, I know that that was miles away. It was almost two years ago. But if you go back to the Paris Major, which I think was when G2 was at their peak, I think the Paris Major when there was, was the biggest disparity between G2 and every other team on the scene. Go back and watch the way that G2 Rome cleared and the way that they held defenses. The amount of 2v4s or 2v5s that G2 won was astounding. And a big part of that is because they were very coordinated, they were droning each other in, and they were working well together. Now let's fast forward to the tail end of season 10, just last year, and you see a G2 team that is entering solo, droning themselves in, losing gunfights. And I don't necessarily think you can turn around and say, are G2 washed? Maybe. Maybe to a certain extent they're washed in comparison to where they were, but this is still a, probably a top 10 team in the world oh, yeah. just because of where they are in Europe. 
And there's something going on strategically with G2, which I think is shaking their confidence outside of that strategy. If they're afraid to entry because they know they don't have the biggest foundation under them, then they're also going to be scared to take gunfights. And it's all just going to trickle down. That's what I see from G2. They're not playing as a team. They're not working off of each other. G2 used to have a rule that you can never be more than five seconds away from the closest teammate. So that there's always refrag potential there. Go back to Rio and watch their matchup against FaZe. Go back to Paris Major and watch their matchup against Secret and EG. They absolutely picked apart these teams methodically and they did so fearlessly. That is not the team we are seeing now. They're playing scared. Is it because they're just getting older? I don't think so. I think there's something wrong there and I think that that's just trickling down like I said. And then the last team I want to focus on is Empire. Empire look like the world beaters that they always have. They had a bit of a stumble through the latter half of season 10. I don't think they were saving strats because you've seen that they've changed up an awful lot of stuff and now they look absolutely indomitable. They've dropped four rounds. That's it. The next closest in EU is 10. Over double that. 2.5 times that. Empire <laughs> looks solid and then tonight they play Rogue. If they crush Rogue, I don't think there's any question about it. Empire becomes, once again, the indisputed best team in the world. Okay. And then they'll have to put their money where their mouth is there at the Six Invitational, um, which will be very exciting. Um, why don't we uh, we run through some of the other region results and then maybe we can even go through pretty much uh, most of the other regions and then go back and take a retrospective look at, at which ones we reckon are the, uh, the ones to talk about. Sounds good. Um, so I guess we'll start off with NA again. We'll just run through the, the results quickly. So Playday 1, we had EG 7-5-ing um, Luminosity, TSM 7-2 Reciprocity, uh, EU United 7-4 Tempo Storm, uh, Dark Zero 7-5 Space Station. Playday 2, we had uh, Luminosity drawing with Tempo Storm, um, Dark Zero drawing with Reciprocity, uh, TSM 7-3-ing EU United, um, and SSG uh, seven to an EG on Clubhouse, which is obviously uh, the hot topic because uh, a lot of people seem to agree that taking SSG to Clubhouse is not the smartest decision. <laughs> um, however, they did and uh, um, they paid for it. Um, so I guess we'll quickly we'll quickly touch on this and then we'll move on to Latin America. So uh, I guess we'll start with your thoughts, Cthulhu. Just any looking at these matches, is there anything that sort of stands out to you? Um, probably. The DZ versus SSG, I would be kind of expecting it. For some reason, I was thinking that it would be uh, it would end up in a draw. Apart from that, I mean SSG seven two scoreline against DG, that's pretty good. But again, I, I unfortunately I did end up missing the NA portion of PL, so I wouldn't be able to give as much of the. Uh, comment on that but yeah the the res results wise i'm definitely i did get surprised a fair bit i feel like na is looking pretty tight especially on the upper half of the standings um it's it's quite exciting i think when we we got at a point where evil geniuses have made so many changes ssg have made strides in becoming a much better team dark zero still getting used to their roster changes and reciprocity kind of the same um, and TSM always kind of being that wild card that in, at some points we've thought maybe TSM is actually going to be one of the next best teams in NA despite their performance last season in the Pro League. So I feel like we even potentially have more than half the teams in this league, which I, and, I mean, I don't want to discredit Luminosity either because they did so well last season and they've done pretty well this season as well, despite that draw to Tempo Storm. So I feel like the majority of the teams in this league, and it, NA is becoming a lot more like EU in its competitiveness. Not quite there yet, but 
uh, I think it's it's definitely made, making for a lot more exciting viewing and uh, much more difficult to predict the, the matches ahead of time as well. Mm. Parker, your um, thoughts? Yeah, I was going to say, NA has been the most unpredictable region, I think. Um, and this big shout out to Siege GG. The Siege GG caster uh, predictions consistently shows that nobody really knows what the hell is going on in North America. <laughs> um, and I, it's crazy to me because it's like in EU, it's unpredictable, but there is at least like some method to the madness because you generally know which teams are better than which teams. In NA, you know which teams are indisputably better than some teams, but then they just blow it in matches. And I don't, I don't really know what happens. You know, that that very first play day, um, I think most <laughs> things went pretty according to plan. You know, uh, EG beating LG was a bit of a shocker, in my opinion. I am not high on this EG roster at all. You know, hmm. I do I think that, do I think EG's a top four NA team? No, I don't. Um, Rec is in dead last right now in NA, which is very strange because I don't think they're the worst team in NA. I think that Rec is probably a top four team. You know, you look at TSM, Dark Zero, and Space Station. I think if SSG and TSM as well. TSM looks like they've gotten it under control, but let's see about SSG. If they're able to figure out the whole best of ones format, I think that TSM and SSG will rightly be in the top three. I think they're both top three NA teams right now. I think that Dark Zero online is probably the best NA team, but they struggle with consistency. And the other thing with Dark Zero that I will give them credit for is that they can muscle out a draw when required. You saw that matchup. What was it against... Um, Wreck. reciprocity on the second play day where they were trailing and it looked all but lost and what happened was DZ caught fire not wreck really falling off that was a that was a lot of praise to dark zero on the way that they played it um the question marks for me are going to be luminosity e united and tempo storm um frankly i think tempo storm looks like the worst team in north america right now um their match against lg was lg choking really hard i think lg should have probably done better and i think that lg roster is with the way that the LG rosters played on and off, I think they have the potential to be top four in NA, but the question is, will they get there just because of how top-heavy NA is? Are they a better team than TSM, Dark Zero, or Space Station? I don't think so. Are they a better team than Reciprocity? I think that's their closest competitor. And then you've probably got EG and E United battling for the next spot, and then Tempo Storm at the bottom. Um, also, as a side note, it's hell to try and memorize these teams because you have TSM, TS, mm -hmm. and TR. Like, ugh, you know, <laughs> but anyway. Um, NA, I think, was probably the the least exciting region through the first week. Um, I think that Latin America was more exciting. Um, and I know we'll talk about that in just a second. But it, TSM with Geo on that squad, if they continue to play the way that they've played, I think they're going to finish atop NA, especially with the, the first two matches under their belt. The question is, who gets second? Dark Zero, a lot of people said they kind of messed with a good formula by bringing in Skies and Eclipse. I don't know. I think that Skies and Eclipse are going to add an awful lot to that team. The question is how they're going to play uh, around them. And then SSG, I'm very high on SSG. I have been since the Invitational last year. I think they have every tool in their toolkit to make them the best team in North America. They struggle to realize it consistently. Will they be able to build something with all the firepower and all the tools they have? That remains to be seen. It's remained to be seen for 360 days now, give or take. <laughs> so that's going to be the big question mark for me is SSG, what happens with them over the next 12 play days? I mean, surely SSG has been like already on the rise as well, ever since probably the bigger showcase was um, Ogre Pit as well where they managed to get to what, Grand Finals. Yeah. Mm. I, I, yeah. 
I think one of the things that uh, makes it particularly exciting is the, t- the three teams that are really hyping up their pocket, TSM, Dark Zero, Space Station, all these three have qualified for Six Invitation alongside Team Reciprocity, uh, who also have a few question marks above their heads. So, yeah. especially TSM, uh, I'm, I'm wondering how they'll perform on LAN and how they'll perform if they get to it on stage as well, if they make playoffs. Space Station the same because Space Station uh, were eliminated in groups, if I recall correctly, last year in the, in the Six Invitational. But at Raleigh and Sky, you called it. Um, you you were supporting SSG all the way, and they they really did so well, made it to semis, if I'm not wrong. So um, once these teams get on land, I think Dark Zero also had a great performance on land uh, as runners up six and uh, sorry the seasonal ten finals. Um, but I know a lot of people were critical in saying maybe they they had. Uh, they, they beat a weakened phase and then they beat Airwolf who hadn't had very much time to study Dark Zero because they were focusing on Giants. So maybe Dark Zero still need to prove themselves on land as well, uh, which is why Six Invitational is just going to be stacked. <laughs> I, 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 no matter who gets the invite, SI is going to be hell on a cell. I, I oh, don't yeah. envy any of the teams. No. That's what makes it so exciting is, you know, you've got Empire who are sort of starting to surge back up, but obviously neither Empire or G2 managed to make it to Tokenami. So it's almost like, you know, it's anyone's to take. Um, It's going to be so exciting. Moving on now to Latin America. Um, Again, we're going to go through a run through and then discuss it. We had Playdate 1, Black Dragons drawing with Elevate, Phase 7-5-ing NIP, uh, Ince 7 4 Liquid, um, an MIBR 7-5-ing Team 1 played A2. We had Int 7-4-ing Made in Brazil. Uh, Liquid 7-2-ing 1 Esports. Phase 7-3-ing Elevate. Um, and Nip 5-7-ing Black Dragons. Um, Dev, thoughts on these? Um, I think that Latin America is a, is a region with uh, that has consistently had a couple of teams that are just above the rest. Phase MIBR, Team Liquid. I know some of these teams haven't... Uh, NIP, of course. Some of these teams haven't quite kept up their consistency. Uh, Team Liquid hasn't had a great few Pro League seasons, but they've done really well outside. They won the OGA pit minor in Croatia. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad to see that some of these other teams that we're seeing consistently put a fight to these top ones, like INTZ. Uh, Team 1, I would also put up there, but unfortunately they haven't done so well in the Pro League in their two games thus far. Um, it's, it's great to see INTZ in particular um, kind of keeping pace. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's a big question mark out of which of those kind of core teams will remain or will get to the top for the end of Season 11 and, and go to LAN. Especially, I think a lot of people have uh, have high hopes for Team Liquid because they they hit such high uh, such a high point. They won Pro League in Season 7. And here we are four seasons later and their Pro League ever since hasn't really been dazzling at all. And um, I think that's the that's the question mark for me. Hmm. Um, it, INTZ has has really surprised me, but it shouldn't when you look at that roster. You know, VNX, Drunks, Duds, and Vitz have all had great success outside of other teams as individual players. Um, so when you put them all together, it it does make sense that they would do well. I think what's been most surprising to me are you know two teams in particular MIBR and NIP for various reasons MIBR because they looked like hot garbage through the second half of <laughs> S10 
through all of season 10, 10 MIBR looked dreadful. You know, I, I would put them as the oh. second worst team that was attending the Raleigh major as well. You know, you look at the Raleigh major MIBR was far and away the second worst team after CAG being the worst team, in my opinion. You and know? MIBR and actually like, almost got beat by Nora when they were playing with Kazoku, who isn't even a player. Yeah, that that was the biggest thing to me, and I remember tweeting that out. It was it was when uh, Maryu was in uh, a hospital, hmm. and Kazoku had to play. Kazoku got what two frags the yeah. whole series, or some crazy low number like that, and it's like or two or four frags or something. He was a he, he was a he did nothing. It was literally a four v five almost every round, and MIBR made it deep into a third map against them. And I remember tweeting that out, like how dreadfully bad MIBR looked that they were almost losing to Nora Rengo with a coach who doesn't play the game. I got a lot of hate from Brazilian fans for that, but it was like, man, if you as a fan can't realize how terrible your team looks, then you need to get it together as a fan. Like MIBR looked like garbage, absolute garbage. I don't know what it was because they went from being this super dominant team that either drew or won every single matchup. They're the last undefeated team in every region as of like what? It was like midway through season nine because finally Empire lost or something like that to, to at the time I think it was Lestreme. And I think MIBR was the last team that had never lost when they were immortals. And it was like, this was a squad that looked great. They came out of nowhere. You know, they slowly kept building. They were challenging what, was, what we refer to as the top three, which is Nip Phase and Liquid. And now we have a new top four. And then MIBR just fell off a cliff. They made a single roster. They picked up Hugzord, who had been unremarkable on almost every team he'd played for. And this guy comes in and he plays utility operators. He plays support. And he completely breathes new life into the squad. And they go on a, a hell of a run through OGA Pit. And they look incredible. And then they go on a heck of a run as well through the SI quals. I will say their matchup against Team 1 got a little sloppy through the midway point. But, then, you know, MIBR ended up rectifying those issues halfway through and now we're back to pro league and they look very average they don't look terrible they don't look great they look very average very very average i'm kind of scratching my head as to what's going on with mibr the other one is nip is that i still think that nip has the best roster in latin america pound for pound the question just becomes what do they do with it i think liquid is probably second with phase being third uh, I think FaZe, despite not having the overall strongest roster, I think the one thing that FaZe does exceptionally well is they play the best as a team. Liquid has those those shimmers of brilliance as well, where it's just like some days, nobody is beating Liquid. Period. And then there are other days where Liquid looks like a bottom four Latin America team. And they look... They don't look that good. Oh. And that's really interesting to me, is that they are so wildly inconsistent. But Nip, who have had consistency issues in the past, they almost got relegated. They were almost relegation season eight. People forget this. They were the they, fin they ended up finishing like seventh or something like that, seventh or eighth in like season eight. Narrowly avoided. They were dead last at the, at the the first half of the season. Nip have looked incredible since then. They flirted with the idea of Gohan. I think Nip could have reasonably won Tokonami were it not for visa issues. But now they look like an average team as well. And I know that it's still too early. We were only two play days in, but I haven't really. I've seen so much sloppiness from Nip. And all of Latin America as a whole, there really haven't been that many clean matches. Ince and FaZe, the two teams that sit atop the standings, are the only two teams where I'm like, yeah, they're playing pretty clean Rainbow Six. The other six teams in Latin America are like, what is going on? Why are you playing like this? Hmm. So. Yeah, results-wise, at least, I, th <clears throat> I mean, for me, it was um, probably the 
biggest kind of surprises, like you mentioned, with Nip being considered one of the better kind of rosters within Latin Latin America, ended up having some issues with against FaZe, but then managing to, well, get a 7-5 with Black Dragons. Do you reckon it will be... Um, actually, that's a question for all of you guys. Do you reckon that is just Latin, Latin America in general that is still having occasionally consistency issues like all across the board for all the teams or is it just something that is just the online portion being just something that a whole lot of teams is being played plagued I don't know I I, I kind of feel a bit what, what you were saying Parker with some of these teams not looking they just sometimes they just don't play to their potential and not even if, if, if this is their maximum potential they're not playing close to it they're actually playing quite far from it it's similar to when you're watching G2 and you're thinking this isn't what you guys are capable of you're capable of so much more than this and I really don't know what the underlying cause of some of those performances is and that's that's where it becomes very difficult and speculation starts if you're an outsider looking in that speculation isn't always going to do much good because we have no idea what's going on inside these teams uh day-to-day lives uh coaches analysts that it's their job to kind of regulate that but um for me if i have to predict these matches week by week for cgg i i find it very difficult um because of that because you see these teams would don't always reach their potential and some teams exceed what you think is their potential as well i think that latin america is ground zero of play for your region not play for mm. you know the championship and Latin America has always been that way. They're very isolated. They are by far and away the most aggressive region, period. And I think a lot of times it bites them. And that's why you know, a lot of people refer to them as... <laughs> See, I haven't really watched a lot of Thai Rainbow just, Six. Just, I will say just, that much. Just but... wait. Just you wait. Just wait? Okay. <laughs> um, I will say that uh, overall, I think that Latin America is extraordinarily aggressive. And a lot of times they lack a lot of that finesse and strategy and they don't really bring a lot to LAN. And time and time again, you know, NA and EU teams have said LATAM is the easiest region to counter strat because they don't change anything. They do the same thing every round and they don't really have that depth to bring a new arsenal of weapons to a LAN when you need to, you know? So, uh, you look back at the first, the you know the first essay I casted, SI twenty eighteen phase versus EG because the way the map picks shaked out, shook out, it was a skyscraper match. EG doesn't play skyscraper. A lot of people were thinking, okay, well, you know, phases perma bands were always chalet and skyscraper, or maybe it was coastline and skyscraper. I can't remember now, but skyscraper was one of them, and people were speculating, oh my god, you know, skyscraper as the ultimate tiebreaker. Maybe phase is something repair. Nope. And it was a really sloppy match because neither team had anything prepared. And I think the defenders won every single round, except finally there was one attacking victory. Anyway, um, Latin America is a region. Like I said, it's, it's play for your region. And many LATAM teams have spoken about the amount that they learn and they grow when they boot camp outside of their region. MIBR spent a month and a half boot camping in Europe. They played ranked as a team. They full stratted. They played EU teams. And they make a deep run in OGA pit. They win SI quals. They look incredible. How much of that is the fact they had exposure to the best region in Rainbow Six? I don't know. And then you look at other teams. Liquid as well. Boot camping and playing outside their region. You look at Nip tweeting that after they scrim G2 at the Raleigh Major, they learned more in a single set of scrims against G2 than they did scrimming Latin America teams for an entire season. 
Latin America really needs to shift its focus from just playing to beat other Latin America teams in order to stay competitive. Because right now I will say as a region, they look like they're trailing both NA and EU, which has not always been the case. I would have put Latin America ahead of NA for a number of seasons. Now it looks like Latin America has fallen off. Hmm. And that inconsistency I think is because they play, you have certain teams that are trying to play to a regional meta and you have certain teams that are trying to play to an international meta and they don't always align. And sometimes, you know, halfway through a game, if Nip is playing a global meta and they're getting, you know, their their butts kicked by Elevate and they're down three nothing, then yeah, now they're gonna start playing their regional meta and they start winning again. But now you're falling back onto old bad habits, which you shouldn't be doing. And therein lies the problem. So I think that kind of helps explain why we're seeing what goes on with Latin America and slowly but surely they're going to get more international exposure. But for the time being, half of that region needs to start focusing on competing globally. And in order to do that, they got to start practicing a little more and they need to boot camp more. Right. Okay. So now <clears throat> let's um, shift our view to APAC. Essentially, we'll quickly run through all of the sub regions as well. And then we'll kind of sink our teeth into that and in case we wanted to discuss any of the big results but for now let's start off with ANZ so we had for play day one Anixian 2.0 aka X Oddity to versus Sinister uh, and then Fnatic versus Kanga and for play day two it was Wildcard versus Homeless and Mindfreak versus Fury so for play day one Anixian versus Sinister ended up in a 2-0 Fnatic it's a draw and a win Wildcard versus HL a draw and a win again for wildcard and mindfreak versus fury that's seven two and then three seven so a trade of points on the side of japan there's the dit nation gaming versus uh, festival lbx and then there's fav versus unsold and guts gaming versus ygl and obviously the big one cyclops versus nora which ended up actually still in favor of cyclops being a draw and then three points for them then for Korea, things were pretty simplistic. Scars versus Axiomatic, um, 7473. And then Trippy versus Axiomatic was a draw in 7-4 in favor of Trippy. And last but not least was actually quite exciting. I'll, I'll highlight quickly uh, a few matches. So there was the Q Confirm versus 200 Degrees, and then Giants versus 1122, and then Xavier versus Script, and Lesay versus Valor. And the big highlight there within Southeast Asia is that Giants versus 1122 for all of the people that followed competitive siege in, in SEA prior even to Pro League when it arrived in APAC. 1122 and Giants, back then they were known as Team Envy, they had one of the longest running um, rivalries going for themselves. And even some of the current pros and ANs that would actually remember scrimming against 1122. And Lusty was actually a part of that team before he transitioned over to ANZ. So there is quite some history behind that team, but unfortunately, as of recently, uh, only, I believe, either two or three players from that team are actually remaining. And um, there's, yeah, they, they're definitely not that team that was scary within Southeast Asia like it was before. So I, mm. I, I guess coming from an ANZ kind of bias, because I was casting these matches um if you look at the standings anixian used to be called oddity 
Uh, Homeless used to be called ACME or Acme and Kanga used to be called Rhythm. I'm sure a lot of people watching won't necessarily recognize all these things, but you will recognize Fnatic and Wildcard. Now, Fnatic, Wildcard and Nixian were the top three last season and, and have been consistently for a long time, and Nixian has been that team to challenge Wildcard. Um, so there wasn't anything hugely upsetting here, except, I guess, the fact that both Fnatic and Wildcard, who are our two from ANZ internationally competitive teams, I think that both of them have proved that uh, Wildcard recently over almost defeating Na'Vi at Season 10 finals and Fnatic over several years. Both of them actually dropped a map, didn't lose, but drew a map to the two teams that came up from the Challenge League, uh, namely Kanga and Homeless. And yeah. that wasn't just Fnatic or Wildcard playing bad, that was some of our, our Challenger League promoted teams playing really, really well, which I think was a, a big upset and, and something very exciting as well. I was just about actually to highlight that because that is actually a very interesting storyline that is shaping up for both Kanga and Homeless because um, essentially top two teams, Fnatic and Wildcard, ended up drawing out against essentially what is expected the two technically, in theory, two bottom teams that just came out of the Challenge League. But that just shows that they're ready, right? I think it's really exciting because it shows, you know, for a while I feel like our region is pretty, pretty, you know, I feel like internationally looking in or even looking in regionally for, you know, the, the few seasons prior, you'd sort of always be saying, oh, yep, it's going to be um, mine or back then, um, mine, Freak, Atletico, we're now moving forward, Orglis, and then obviously now we've got Wildcard and Fnatic and you're sort of always expecting those and then maybe, you know, Oddity might be able to make a, make a break for it, as did they last season. Um, and unfortunately, it, it didn't work out in the end, but they got so close to making um, and stealing that APAC land spot. Um, but now I think it's really exciting to see that, you know, we're taking it, well, it seems to be becoming more of a reality that, that it is possible that we may see Fnatic or Wildcard being pushed out of those top two slots um, and, be, you know, having that APAC land spot sort of stolen from them. I think part of the, uh, the part of that there is the fact that in the past, teams like Fnatic especially, they, they have not been shy about saying that they're saving strats when they play locally. In fact, sometimes it comes out on Twitter and they say, we save strats in this game. That's that's just how it happens, similar to what you've seen overseas sometimes. And yet, there is a point where they drew one map here to possibly the lowest rated team in the league. If they drop another t game next week and maybe they, they get defeated in one map or two maps by Wildcard or a Nixian, that's a team potentially not actually making it to APAC finals, and that means that you can't make it to global finals. And we know Fnatic's already missed out on one global final, uh, eliminated by Airwolf, who are now Giants Gaming, uh, in the Season 10 APAC finals, which was a huge upset. And I think, especially for an org the size of Fnatic, you can't be letting that happen. And what this means that there's a, uh, there's a, the, the fire has been turned on underneath them, and they, they really have to start making sure that they're keeping pace and, and playing their normal game even locally and they can't just cruise through their to their way to land as well mm. right well with that we'll kind of we can move on to the week two predictions essentially are there any um highlights or any any big matches that you're kind of expecting guys probably main question is to you Parker, I guess you with the games tonight as well, Parker, that you're coming up to watch and cast tonight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I need to pull up the old tabs here because I actually just closed them. So let me bring them back up. Um, I was actually trying to catch up on APAC and then realized that it was like, I just, I'm not able to 
I don't envy you. I don't envy you trying to keep up to date on all all it's, four of those regions because it was like I watched a bunch of the ANZ stuff, um, but I didn't watch like any of the other regions. Um, like I said, it's just usually it's time zones. It falls yeah. on a weird time for me to watch, and typically what I do with APAC is. I'll try to watch as best as I can, like usually ANZ and then some of the top teams when I know that they're playing. But for the most part, like for the deeper stuff in APAC, I'll usually do like most of my boot camping prior to a LAN will be going back and rewatching APAC VODs. It won't be so much the other three regions. It'll be going back through and going on Liquipedia and seeing close matches against like decent teams and stuff like that, and then, then hunting down the VODs. That's usually how it works. Um, all right. We'll start with Europe then. Um, tonight, I think the BDS Vitality starting it off is going to be probably the most interest. I mean, all honestly, all of the EU matches are good today. Um, but I think BDS and Vitality has my attention the most because both of these teams are the biggest question marks for me right now, outside of maybe like Navi. Um, okay. BDS have not looked the same. Uh, you know, they used to have two carries. Now they have one. How are they going to do up against a team like Vitality that is obviously still trying to adjust to what I think was the biggest and most significant roster moves of any team in the three regions, which was Vitality picking up Hungary and Goga on a team that already has very openly struggled with English communication in the past. You've got a German, a Finn, two Frenchmen, and a Spaniard all communicating in English at varying levels of uh, comprehension. And having to do so while in the meat grinder that is EU with only a couple weeks-ish, maybe a month-ish and a half with this with this roster under their belt. And you know Vitality used to have that very specific slow play style that was a hallmark of Vitality that they seem to have largely moved past, but they still show signs of in, in different rounds. How are they going to play up against BDS? That's the big question for me. These are three really big points here. If BDS loses this match, their whole season, I think, is in trouble. This is a must win for BDS. I know it's only the third play day, but against a team like Vitality that has shown some very glaring issues and some structural problems, I think BDS needs to take advantage of that. Um, in play day number two, Empire versus Fours is is going to be a good one, but I think G2 versus Chaos. We're actually really lucky because to me, the most interesting matchups are the first of both play days. G2 versus Chaos is going to be super interesting for me for a couple reasons. The big one being that Chaos is a team I have always slept on. They've always been notoriously hard on Chaos. And I, I think that shows in broadcasts and it's because so far, I think Chaos has tons of potential, but they've just never realized it. And they always seem to hover below where they need to be. That's going to be the real test for G2. G2 should beat Fours in the play day today. But who knows what's going to happen? G2 should win against Fours. How are they going to do against Chaos? Because Chaos seems like a team that might play aggressive enough to have G2's number. And those are three big points for Chaos in what seems to be a very competitive EU season. Um, looking towards NA, I mean, to me, NA is less interesting because it is so unpredictable, Not, but not in a good way. It's unpredictable in a, like, what are you doing kind of way. Um, <laughs> going into play day number three, uh, I think that the most interesting match is going to be EU versus Luminosity because EU looks like they're on the upswing. Reed looks like the greatest player that's ever touched the game. And Luminosity is a team that needs to sort their uh, their stuff out. In play day number four, I think the most interesting game is probably going to be EG versus Rec because that is a must win for Reciprocity. If they lose to EG in play day number four, Rec's season is just about done. And then you look at uh, Latin America. I think MIBR versus Liquid in play day number three is going to be interesting because MIBR has an opportunity to play a massive spoiler here. If Liquid steamrolls MIBR, then I think it's a return to form for Liquid. Um, the rest of them are pretty standard. Int should beat Elevate, Nip should beat one, 
they should be black dragons. This happens a lot in Latin America where it's like the four should should always win. And then in Playday number four, um, the most interesting matchup is probably going to be uh, MIBR versus Nip. So MIBR is going to be in both of these. And that's because Nip needs to win a lot of games. Uh, if they lose to Team 1 in Playday number 3, their chances of playoffs could also be gone if they lose to MIBR in Playday number 4, given the fact that they lost a phase and then uh, struggled to beat Black Dragons. So those are my uh, those are my games to watch personally. Especially, I think, okay. like what you were saying, uh, with... Latin, Latin America in particular, if you have these four teams which you expect to win against the teams that aren't part of those four, then in theory, all of these teams should be on about the same number of points, and the only thing that then sets them apart from each other is how they perform against each other, which is why those matches like NIP, MIBR, uh, Team Liquid, MIBR are going to be really huge ones to watch in the coming week I'm certainly going to make sure I have enough because I, I mean I'm with you in terror I like you don't have time to watch all the APAC I don't have time to watch all the APAC I certainly don't have time to watch I feel the like you have less well. time like because you can only really watch APAC based on your schedule like whereas I can watch the three regions like you're only I, you can't really watch the other three regions I that's, actually that's wild. Get, I actually get up in the morning um, and I turn on whatever streams currently live it's usually some NA often happens in the mornings and I'll put that on my second monitor while I'm doing other stuff um, and if it's not live then I'll just get a VOD up so, um, and I still can't watch everything. It's impossible. But um, yeah, it, the, for the ones that I'm going to be looking out for, I'll check the scores and then I'll, I'll decide which ones to watch. It's probably going to be those ones. The CGG does highlights, right? So you can always watch those. They're yeah, usually pretty yeah. good with That's, them. That, we, miss like, we miss like 90% of the highlights anyway. So, you know. I, I don't know. From my <laughs> perspective, uh, watching... I mean, I love the CGG highlights, especially to get the, the vibe of a game and, and to experience the casting. If you're looking for casting clips, that's a perfect place to go. But at the same time, mm. it's often just the last 10 seconds of each round and I, you don't get any strategy from that for the most part. You just see clutches and and it, um, yeah. that's not usually what I'm yeah. looking for when I'm doing research. Yeah, yeah so that's I, very I, fair. I reckon for EU, I, I will be with you on, on the Chaos versus G2 kind of game, Parker, because Chaos while they never really got to the top spots they had a fair few times when they managed to shine they managed to actually get i believe it was um actually last season they managed to take the few games off actually either Pretty one sure or two Chaos games off of g2, g2. Yeah, yeah 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 they did beat yeah, g2 they did. yeah they beat they beat g2 at the tail end of the season yeah and they Which had would have few... sorry i think i think yeah. that actually would have allowed g2 to go to lan if they had won that i think i yeah. can't remember I and think that was like, that was their season. Yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, it seems that they have that kind of upset potential, but they haven't really fully un unlocked it yet. Um, as well as that, probably I'd actually be kind of keen to see how Rogue versus Empire would perform because Empire are, are, are still like, there's still a slight bit of doubt. Can they get back to performance since they missed out on Tokonami LAN? But they kind of yeah getting like you said getting back to it apart from that really i'm i'm kind of just curious to see how we'll probably i will start making forming the full opinion about na and latin america probably after the day three and four when it's gonna gonna start kind of already getting to the point where it's like you can certainly see which teams are actually good and like on the standings higher up and then kind of start seeing which ones are starting to fall back and, and maybe could form like a comeback storyline for themselves. Yeah, I've, I've got to agree with both of you, Parker and Cthulhu. I think 
payday three and four is really where we're going to start to get a really good idea of of where these regions stand for now and then what we're sort of looking to you know you've sort of got play day one and two you can always have you know teams haven't competed for a while and, and sometimes there will sort of be you know the instances where teams won't play as good as they maybe should but i think three and four is where these teams really need to to show up and i think after that we're going to have a really good idea of what to look uh, look to moving forward i don't really think teams or, or a lot of people and, and viewers and audience really get this but your trajectory through the season is largely set in stone by the fourth play day if you've won a lot or lost a lot you know like especially losing it's almost impossible to make up four really bad matches at the start of the season through the next 10 play days and especially when we've we've gone back and looked at certain teams that have made it to land they're making it to land with like two losses and three draws or like three mm. losses and like three draws that's six games of 14 that they have played semi-poorly or poorly. If you start off the season with three losses in a row, it's almost impossible that you're going to make it to land and exceedingly probable that you're going to be fighting in relegations. Now, the good news for these teams is that this season there are no relegations as Pro League is going to be growing in NA and EU by two spots. So it's not the end of the world if you finish in eighth. In fact, the one thing that you don't have to worry about, which I actually think will help some of the worst teams, is you don't need to panic by making changes at the lat like TSM did by dropping Jarvis because they thought they were going to get relegated. You don't need to panic and make changes just to try and stay out of relegations. If you're a team like Tempo Storm or if you're a team like Elevate who very clearly have issues, you can spend an entire season saying, hey, these 14 play days, we know we're not going to make it to land. We know we're not going to get relegated. Well, Elevate might because Latin America is still eight, and I'm assuming it's still going. We haven't heard anything from them. I'm assuming that they're they're still going to have relegations. I don't know. But anyway, let's say for just argument's sake that there is no relegation for any region this season. If you're a team like Elevate or if you're a team like Tempo Storm, you can look at it and say, let's spend the whole year, or the whole season rather, because it's six months, focusing on next season. Let's work on strats. Let's work on our scrims. Let's possibly set up roster moves for the future. We don't need to panic and hit, you know, smash glass in case of emergency. We can take these six months, maybe work out a new roster, look long-term, experiment with role swaps. You have that freedom, which is going to work really well for some of these lower teams, providing they use this opportunity correctly. Because I know that there are going to be a lot of teams who I get the whole competitive spirit aspect. There are going to be teams who are going to be like, we want to win, we hate losing, and they're going to be impatient. Slow down. Slow down and realize that if you're in NA or EU, unless you're a bad player who doesn't want to get dropped on your team, if you're one of the people who's not getting kicked off of these teams because you're the best player on the team, somebody like Shaiko on BDS, for example, let's say BDS finishes dead last in EU, Shaiko knows he's not going anywhere. Look long-term. You want to look to season 12. That is your start. This is a trial run for NA and EU teams. And I really hope that the lower end teams take advantage of that because you might only have this season without relegations because I'm assuming they're probably going to come back in season 12. Who knows? You only have this one shot. Don't mess it up. And I feel like a lot of these young kids are going to be impatient and they're not going to see the forest for the trees and they're going to go all out to try and win as many games as possible and squander the potential to be a better team in six months than the team that they are today. 
And that's a significant worry for me as a caster because I want every team to be the best that they can be. And I think these teams have the potential and chance to do that. Yeah, it's definitely worth playing the long game, as you said, with the relegation changes, but also just through a round robin format. I think sometimes it can be deceptive. You look at, uh, you might say, let's say you're a Fnatic fan or a Wildcard fan. You say, Wildcard, look, they drew up to Homeless. Oh, well, it's just one draw. You know, they got a lot of matches to go. It really, it stacks up quick. And they, they, they even a small mishap can make a huge difference later on in the season. And Wildcard experienced that last season. The fact that they didn't close out and get victories over Fnatic and, and Fnatic managed to draw both of their games. And the fact that Wildcard lost to Oddity, that was pretty much Wildcard done and dusted, not getting it to land until they, they waited. And fortunately for them, Oddity messed up in their game against Fury. That's the only reason why they made it to APAC Finals. The only reason why Wildcard had the opportunity to make it to Global Finals, which they eventually did. And that's the true of any region. It, you really have to have that consistency. Um, now, I wanted to talk about the Six Invitational briefly, but before we go on to that, I think since we didn't really touch on them earlier, I kind of want to go over some of the roster changes that have happened, um, just briefly, because uh, it's exciting and it's very it's very cool. So um, Rogue, uh, after their, their team in North America disbanded, relegated to Challenger League, disbanded, uh, Rogue has decided to pick up the former Giants gaming roster, which is really exciting for the European team. And Rips has also joined to replace Alphama. So uh, we haven't seen a lot of good things out of this team yet this season, but they have a lot of uh, hope ahead of them. And they also have that spot at the Sixth Invitational to look forward to. And something that, uh, that happened as a consequence of this, I guess, is the fact that Vodafone Giants made their debut in APAC, picking up the Singaporean team formerly known as Aerowolf. And um, I know that org acquisitions and roster changes happen quite frequently. And in North America and Europe, I think, I, I don't want to say this, in a negative way, but sometimes they can kind of be taken for granted. A big org picks up another big team and people are like, wow, that's great. In APAC, this makes real difference for these people's lives and for the future of the eSport as well, which, and I mean, I've known these guys since, uh, for about three years. Um, and online, we've known them longer than that as well. But seeing these guys at land time after time, playing for basically nothing, having to contend with all the challenges of, of trying to make a professional eSports career in Singapore, um, and then be, getting picked up by Giants. I'm, in, I'm incredibly excited for these guys in particular. Um, we also have uh, Redeemer joining Team Reciprocity as a coach. Formerly did coach Rogue, and before that was a player for Space Station. So uh, we'll see whether that can shake anything up for Reciprocity, because they, they certainly need it currently at the bottom of the standings. Any uh, Anything you wanted to talk about with, in regards to those before we uh, have a bit of a chat about Six Invitational? Parker? Uh, I can lead off. Um, it's a no-brainer that Rogue would want to stay in. They have a pilot program spot. It's far too lucrative for any team that has pilot program skins to not reinvest in the scene. Frankly, I'm astonished that Penta is sticking with their Challenger League team because they are very much leaving money on the table, whereas they could very easily... and. I hate to say this because it's going to sound disparaging to the region, but they very easily could just pick up a top team in APAC or one of the top teams in APAC and just kind of coast if they really want to. Um, whereas, you know, it, I think generally the belief is, is that it costs more money to run an EU team than it does to, to run an APAC team. Uh, salaries are, tend to be much lower in APAC. Infrastructure tends to be much lower in APAC, which sucks for the teams. But from an org perspective, like if you want to get the most bang for your buck, look at Cloud9. They picked up 
you know, the Mantis FPS roster, they're making bank on skins because Cloud9, it doesn't matter what team they have in Rainbow Six, they're a big enough institution that they're they're going to do well no matter what. And they have some of the best cosmetics in the game as well. Um, I think Penta is hoping that their team makes it from Challenger League into Pro League, but they're leaving money on the table. You know, they have the Twitch bundle. That's not there. They have, what's the other gun? They have the MPX or something like that? Like that's They have, they have the Twitch and they have the... Well, actually, the MPX, sure. right? I think it's the MPX. I'm pretty sure it's so, Valve's yeah. gun. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I mean, I have I have thoughts on Penta. I don't run... They have the T5. They have Legion's stuff. gun as well. Yeah, but that was the first. That yeah, was the yeah. very first skin that they got. I think I think they have the MPX. It could be it could be yeah. wrong. But I actually still have their, yeah. their charm from way way back. They've they've been in the yep. they were one of the OG pilot program teams since before it was. They had one of the first charms. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have that the huge Penta charm. If you yeah. remember, like that was that's the OG one. Um, they've been in the scene forever. Uh, now that EU Pro League is expanding to ten. Uh, Secret is pretty much a no-brainer to be one of those two teams. I mean, who knows? They they weren't against BDS and Fours, but oh. I don't see the same level of depth in EU Challenger League this season now that BDS and Fours are up there. Um, I think that the Sisu slash Kona helicopter team, whatever the hell they're coptery team, whatever they're called, um, I think them and Secret are probably the top two teams right now. I, I don't think the Penta roster is very good, um, but they could very easily like pick up. You know, I I don't know what wild card is paying their team i don't know what their buyout is but they could easily pick up the wild card they should have enough money you know like they could they could look at other regions as well um and if they wanted to stay in the scene i was very surprised by that but you're right you know like these acquisitions like cloud nine for example picked up mantis fps and it's been a bit of a sad story because mantis were exceedingly talented they seem to have everything going for them they were destroying korean pro league they always had a good run through the qualifiers they made it through that one qualifier to the six invitational and now they look re they look bad they do not look like a good team at all and i don't know what it is i don't watch enough apac to weigh in but it seems like since they got picked up by cloud nine they have really struggled as a team which i thought this cloud nine pickup was you know cloud nine is is known for providing excellent resources team houses support and infrastructure good funding i'm very surprised that that C9 has struggled as much as they have um, within the region, and it's kind of a bummer. Um, but yeah, I mean, Arrowwolf uh, getting picked up by Giants, from what everything I heard from the guys that used to be on Giants in EU have said, Giants was extremely supportive. They cared an awful lot. I think this Arrow, this ex-Arrowwolf roster is now in very good hands, and like I said, it makes perfect sense for Rogue to be back in it. And Rogue was very, very supportive of their NA team as well. They were one of the first teams to get a facility and you know to get team houses. And for a period of time, they were the best paid team in North America, which and I actually think for a period of time, the Rogue Squad was actually the best paid team in all of Pro League, if my memory serves me correctly. They have shown an abundance of support for their team, and if they are able to do that for the EU Squad, then the EU Squad hopefully will be better than they have been on land the last you know year or so. Also, okay. Redeemer's great, just as a side note, <laughs> Redeemer's great. But I wanted him as a caster, and I'm very angry, or an analyst, I'm very angry that he went back to coaching. <laughs> yeah, and Redeemer actually did pretty well for well, on casting wise. Was it was it Dreamhack Montreal? Yes. Dream, for his first yeah. foray into casting, I was very impressed with what he did. Obviously, he had some he had some issues, not significant, but I think that a lot of the stuff that he uh he did as a caster, I think could very much be worked on. I think his on-camera stuff was was the shakiest. He didn't look comfortable on camera. Mm -hmm. Um 
but other than that, I, I thought he did a bang up job. And I think that he had a, I think he could have even been a caster if he really wanted to. I, I'm kind of bummed to see him go back to coaching because we are very much starved in EU and NA for X players moving into those roles. Wilkie flirted with it, but then he went to Ents. Saronic only comes up for LAN events because he's, you know, he wants to be a streamer. Like, I'm trying to get Adam and Jonas into the scene. I tweeted about it the other day to try and move that needle, but we'll see. Yeah, I feel I think it's only a matter of time. Um, and that's something that former players will always have that people like us, any of us won't have. We can never say we are a former pro player and we have that knowledge. We have to earn that yep. knowledge without getting that experience. Um, or we have to play off of other other parts, which can be very difficult. So I think it'll, it'll just wait, and these players will realize the opportunity is right for the taking. Um, let's let's go and ch uh, chat a little bit about Six Invitational. I think we've talked a lot about these teams already, but I think it, it'd be perfect to highlight some of the the main things that we're looking forward to about this event, some of the main storylines, some of the big teams to watch out for. Um, so I think that... Oh, to kick it off, you know what I'll do? If you give me a second, I will grab up the list of teams and that way we can kind of get a bit of a perspective on things. We've got 16 teams going and of course we don't know what that 16th team is just yet, but we do have the other 15. So once I make this looking all beautiful and everything, one, two, three. Oh my gosh, it is not beautiful. That makes me very upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stickler for my formatting and look we'll just give this a, sh a crack and there you go God bless Liquipedia Liquipedia saves lives on the desk uh, so team Liquid oh, it, really, it really does oh, yeah. man <laughs> so uh, it was Team Empire from the 6 Major Raleigh uh, from the Miners there was TSM from Dreamhack Montreal and uh, Team Liquid from the OGA Pit Miner and then it was Giants Gaming which is now uh, Rogue, Dark Zero, Phase Clan. Wait, no, sorry. That that actually was Giants Gaming, the current Giants Gaming. There you go. Giants, Dark Zero, Phase, Rogue, Navi, Ninjas in Pajamas, uh, Team Reciprocity, and Wildcard came from Season Ten. Uh, BDS, Space Station, MIBR, and Fnatic through the online regional qualifiers. One team yet still to be invited. Um, I, look, I find it very difficult to predict, and I think this is the first major in a while where we don't have a team where we say that team should be in the grand final, or those two teams should be in the grand Empire. final. I mean, Empire. Yeah, I, I see think, Empire as well. Yeah, <laughs> but can you even say you know? Screw which, you, James. We say Empire. Can you, can, can you look? Can you just host the show from now on, Parker? Well, that's it. I'll, I'm drop. All I'm, I'm going to say is metaphorically drop I, I, my mic. I'm kind of sad that I don't have the Russian flag for me because that would have been a very <laughs> subtle. Uh, hint on. Well, who, yeah, who like, in the, in all right. You want, you want to play the Russian card? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight right back. This is the first event where we have a first global event where we have two Aussie teams, Wildcard and Fnatic, but we do not have two Russian teams because Fours didn't make it through. Just pointing it out there. I mean, we only need only one uh, one team to you're, actually. You're win. not wrong. Look, I'm not gonna keep this conversation going because Team Empire. I know <laughs> they're probably favourites to win the whole thing, but you know. Gotta have my Aussie pride a bit. Um, I, I think they're strong. I think this is probably the best chance that Latin America has as well to win it. Um, mm. I think that uh, I think that Nip looks really good. I think Phase looks good. If Liquid shows up, that's the question mark. If Liquid shows up and plays the way that we've seen them play on LAN at DreamHack Montreal, 
at BR6 at OGA Pit, I think Liquid has a very good shot of making the Grand Finals. Um, I don't know how they're going to match up against Empire, because keep in mind, they lost to Empire. Um, so, you know, who knows? But um, when I look at this squad, I think the top teams heading into this, I think on LAN, and I know that NA fans will disagree with me here, I think on LAN, Space Station, Empire, TSM, and Team Liquid are probably the four teams that I would expect to go the farthest based on their pedigree and the way that they've performed on LAN the last four, five, six months. And obviously four, five, six months is, is a very long time frame, but we don't have a lot of LAN events to really keep updating that on, right? Um, by the time we roll around to Invitational, it'll have been about two and a half-ish months since USN, which was only open to American teams um, and is not a tier one event. So obviously teams are not going to take it as seriously as they would a tier one event. No shade to USN. It's just same as a lot of teams won't take OGA Pit seriously. A lot of teams are not super devastated by not making a deeper in DreamHack Montreal unless there's an invitational spot on the line for them, etc. Um, so it's really tough, you know, because excluding the Tokenami finals, we've only had three events, USN, OGA Pit, and DreamHack, uh, DreamHack Montreal since the Raleigh Major. That's it outside of regional uh, conflicts, if you want to call them that, but for these teams. So it's a challenge, but Empire looks really, really good. Empire over the you know the last couple play days look as good as what they used to be, if not maybe better. We'll see. I think we'll have a better grasp on whether Empire is the real deal by the time you know the seven play days are done this, this first half, because we're only two play days through. There's still five more to go. Empire could collapse. They could have just gotten a really good map pool. Their first two maps, we don't know. Uh, TSM, they've always played really well online or uh, and uh, on land. They did well with Timzy at USN. They made Final Four. Geo is a much better player than Timzy. They're playing really well. They burned through DreamHack Montreal and looked indomitable. You know they did well in the qualifiers for Raleigh. I don't have any worries about TSM online or on land. Same with Space Station. Space Station on land have always been a good team, and uh, you know the last little while they've been particularly good. If you look at OGA Pit and USN, and then Liquid, basically the same thing. Those are the four teams that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. And if if only one of those teams make it to the final four, then we've had some serious upsets or some teams have really risen to the occasion while others have fallen off. That's generally my feeling heading into the SI. Okay. Sky, any thoughts? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I mentioned before, but I think it's just like so exciting. Um, I mean, and Terry, you mentioned that lately in terms of competition and, and seeing these teams clash, um, there hasn't been a whole lot of that. Um, and al although from a, a cast or analyst uh, perspective, that's obviously not very fun because obviously you guys are meant to be able to sort of predict what's going on. Obviously, that, that doesn't exactly make it easy. Um, no. But I guess from a viewing perspective, it, it sure does make it exciting knowing that, you know, this is anyone's to take. I mean, um, and, and especially with, again, obviously this might change with the invite spot, but currently G2 not on the board. That That makes it even more exciting. So, I mean, I'm just like, I don't necessarily have any teams. Obviously, I've got my Aussie Pride, Wildcard, and Fnatic, um, and, and especially Giants, uh, SEA. You know, I hope that they really show up and perform. But um, I'm just excited to see, you know, who takes it and, and all of these exciting matchups. I think it's really going to be uh, telling to see which of these teams gets first rounded because four of these teams get first rounded without winning a series. That's just how it works. And then a further four teams get eliminated with only winning one series. And trying to start knocking these teams off the list is going to be very difficult, um, which uh, makes it ever exciting, I think. And 
I'm really excited for for the event. I think that uh, Ubisoft Montreal knows how to put on a good show. They've been doing it for four years, and uh, I'm I'm particularly excited to see you know which of these teams will come out on top and whether we get that Team Empire Grand Final, Team Empire versus who? Will it be EU versus NA? It's been a, a while since we've had I think the the EU NA storyline on NA soil, uh, and I you know I think a lot of people are excited for that. Many NA that. fans. We need um, that EU versus APAC storyline for Grand Final, honestly. I, mean, I want to see Wildcard versus Fnatic Grand Final, but I'm not sure how Ooh. many people I could get on my side with that one. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a fantastic event. Now, I, I want one-word answers from you guys. Not I don't I don't want who do you think. I want who in your heart do you want to be the 16th team at this event? One-word answers only. Parker. G2. Cthulhu? Wild, wild card for me. Wild card's already there, mate. Oh, uh, for for the uh, for the invitational the six, spot. Um, 16th invitational spot. The fours. Yep, I don't blame you. Sky. Uh Xavier. Xavier, eh? Alright, I'm gonna go yeah. with Secret because that way we're all different ones and uh, Secret have been such a good team when they made top four last time. That's uh I mean it's gonna be very exciting to see which which team gets it. And uh, whether that throws a shake-up into the mix, I think it'd be really exciting if the, the 16th team actually has a significant impact. But, um, yeah, any any last things you guys wanted to remark upon heading into 6th Invitational? Um, I think this BDS move to drop Panics actually looks very smart in retrospect because I don't think they get the invite if they're playing with Alems. If they don't make that roster move uh, when they do, if they make the roster move ahead of time and they have Alems on that squad against Secret, I think Secret takes it. Um, I think that Panix was a huge part of why BDS got that invitational spot. And because of that, I think that BDS are taking a significant step down. And this is a team that I think when they had Panix on the roster was probably a team that makes it out of the quarters or makes it out of groups into the quarters. I don't see BDS making it out of the groups with the mm -hmm. current way that they've been looking with the Lems on this squad. Now, like I said, they still have a month to figure this out and get those five play days under their belt on top of the two they've already had. They're running out of runway, but there's still enough for them to land if they really want to. I, I think BDS is, we're going to look back on that Panics roster move being one, maybe hopefully for the long term for BDS, but it is a really, it is a shame because Secret makes it, I think, if they make this roster move before the matchup. Um, as for G2, it's a controversial take and nobody's going to be happy with this. I am not a fan of an invite. I don't like it. I would like to see a structure where teams make it based on past performances. I think G2, despite their woes in the second half of the year, are still a team that deserves to be at this Invitational. And I know that a lot of people don't agree with that. I think it's malarkey. I think that if you look at last year's success, G2 is the second most successful team. It doesn't matter over the last six months. Secret were not good enough to make it out of Challenger League. Secret were not good enough to qualify. The only event that Secret won was the Allied Esports Minor. G2 won so much and finished well every single season. The people that think that Secret have more of a merit to make it than G2 are delusional, and I don't mince words with them at all. G2 has a much greater pedigree last year, and even in the second half of the season, sure, they had a worse run through the SI quals, and they didn't do all that well at live events. Whatever. All that matters is that I think G2 should have gotten a spot. It shouldn't come down to an invite here. I would like to see Secret there. I would have liked to have seen Secret over BDS, and given the way that BDS is playing now, I think Secret would do better. But we can't go back and, and replay the SI quals based on a roster move. So I support G2, not just because I think that they are 
single-handedly the most iconic team in Rainbow Six, but from a storyline perspective. So what if they finish dead last and go out in groups? As a caster, my eye is on the story, and that's a hell of a story to tell. All right, Parker, we'll meet me outside Macca's, back in Macca's at midnight, and we'll settle this like men. We'll fight. We'll fight. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think G2 is a fantastic team, and, and uh, the, the, your remark about them being the second most successful team in 2019, even if you discount the Six Invitational, I think speaks a lot about uh, G2 as a team. Now, moving on from Six Invitational, uh, and, and I guess moving on from esports to some degree and talking about Rainbow Six and, and what the core of Rainbow Six is, um, Sky, you wanted to touch on some uh, some job postings that's actually come up from Ubisoft. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, all four of us play Rainbow Six um, and obviously, um, I guess, have professions in it in, in different areas. Um, and what an amazing game it is. And I know for so many people actually getting to you know, maybe become a caster or um, work on and somewhere, you know, just something to do with Siege is, is a life goal. Um, or maybe even getting to work at Ubisoft um, developing and that sort of thing. And there's actually been a range of, of job, job listings um, that have become available. So if you head on over to the Rainbow Six website and you click the News tab, you'll be able to actually find this post. Um, and there are job openings uh, as a gameplay programmer, a C++ sound programmer, a project lead as a programmer, a generalist programmer, a tools programmer, a web developer, a UI programmer specializing in C++, a game designer, a VFX artist, a UI artist, and a script writer. So there's so many different professions there. Um, and look, if, if these are the things that you specialize in, these are things you take interest in, um, then you can find more information, as I said, over at the news tab on the Rainbow Six website. Um, and yeah, how incredible would it be to work for Ubisoft? Now is your opportunity get those uh, resumes in. Um, and uh, I wish everyone applying the best of luck. Yeah, a lot goes into producing a game like Rainbow Six, and uh, yeah, it definitely is uh, is a job that requires a lot of skill. If you have those skills and you're the interest, then go for it. Um, now, th this is the end of the episode when we usually go through some of our favorite kind of stuff from the community. Um, so myself, Sky, and Cthulhu have each selected one kind of item from the community. And uh, Sky, this week you were you wanted to showcase the universe, the Siege universe. I did. So this actually was posted, I believe, on, on the 1st of Jan, so the first of this decade, um, on the Rainbow Six um, Twitter. Um, and it sort of just shows, you know, I guess obviously now we're starting a new decade. Um, and this is sort of showing like where we're up to um, in, in history, where we're at for now, um, you know, where we're sort of ending this decade on. Um, and I guess sort of a recap, of, you know, just of, of everything that's happened before we move into uh, 2020. Um, and then obviously moving forward the next decade, um, which I think no doubt is going to be a very exciting time for Rainbow Six. So I think it's a really cool way to sort of catch up and, and see what's happened before um, and really prepare for, for what's going to happen in the future. And I know especially that uh, I think one of, one of the people at Ubisoft actually tweeted out, um, like, what are you most excited for at, at the Invitational? And it was the eSports e tournament, the panels or the community. Um, and I was for sure... Although I love esports, I'm so excited to find out more about what's going to be happening in the future of, of Rainbow Six. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I actually remember last year at the Six Invitational. I can't remember what at what point during the schedule this was, but um, it was kind of the the break for the casters and the analysts. And we got some time to go and have lunch. I think it was kind of before the grand final. Maybe it was on the previous day, and they were showing uh, the documentaries featuring yourself, Parker, and a couple of others. 
and I can't remember who it was came up to me, but we were sitting in the, uh, just at the front of the stage and just sitting in front of this enormous screen watching this panel uh, or this documentary. And someone came up to me and I think it was our talent manager and said, oh, do you want to go get some food? And I'm just, I'm glued to this screen. I, I It was my break for the day and I, I just wanted to watch all of the panels. And honestly, I feel like when, I, when I'm at an event, wherever it is, I feel like I'm just as much a tourist as I am a caster or, or an analyst or whatever it is I'm doing at the event because they're, they're always an incredible show. It's the first event where I actually have no idea what's coming up. Like I know the general just... No, so I know the general gist of like esports wise, like what's happening over the next like six months or longer. Like from an esports perspective, like I know that kind of stuff, and that's because like obviously we're under NDAs and we're getting briefed on it. Um, but I don't know any of what's going on with the maps. Are we still doing map reworks? Are there new maps coming? No idea. What are the new operators? No idea. Why hasn't there been a season's pass that's been unveiled yet for people to start buying for year five? I don't know. People are asking that question. I'm just as curious. Why is there no seasons pass out yet? Are they changing the way that we're going to do content? Are they scaling back content as they've scaled back the guns and scaled back the maps? Like I have questions just like everybody else. And I genuinely, and I say this without being under any non-disclosure agreement, I genuinely have no clue what's happening for year five. And it's actually kind of nice. <laughs> It's refreshing for once, yeah. It is It is refreshing, yeah. Yeah, well, it should be a hell of an event. And yeah, like you said, Sky, there's a lot going on on top of esports to be excited for. Um, now, Cthulhu, your pick for this week was one of our local content creators in a very, very short clip <laughs> of, uh, I don't know, just Nico things. It, it's it literally is just Nico things. And the, the title for it, Buck a Short Story, is pretty much all that it ne really need to see. Well, I'm gonna play this with uh, with the audio. Is, this man is stupid. Nico is stupid. <laughs> I can't. I, what's Nico, great? Are you listen to me, <laughs> Nico. This is stupid. You know what's great? Nico is not only a a content creator, the wacky content creator, but he's actually a pro player. He actually plays for a pro yeah. league team at ANZ. So let's watch this five second clip. That's screaming the end. There you go. A little bit of a scream. Shout out to Nico. Uh, what's Nico? Nico underscore R6S on Twitter. Love him. Yeah. The maestro, the maestro spawn peeking one will always be my favorite. What, through <laughs> three different consulate? floors? Yeah, on through, through, No, when he was on consulate on the staircase. The through the two. The craziest part is that he took damage through that. Like, that was the most astounding part of that clip to me is it's like he's like prone behind two maestro cams playing a pixel angle and whoever he's playing oh, yes. against is clearly is clearly good enough to still shoot him but it was just like oh my goodness i could feel the sweat through the screen <laughs> yeah well imagine playing against that in ranked it's a trialing experience imagine playing against that in pro league i'd love to see him without those strats so yeah. uh, so my pick this week was uh we often highlight uh creators um cosplayers and here's one that came up in the community spotlight the creator oh. spotlight and it's it's killer maze who has been at so many events with his incredibly unique and impressive jaeger cosplays and killer maze really sets himself quite different from everyone else with the, the the level of detail that he goes into and also the level of creativity that he puts in to take it to that next level 
He's done multiple different versions of Jaeger, including this old Pro League version. And it actually says in this article that he he, came, he used to play on console and he had this uh, headgear and now he's moved to PC and he can't get that headgear anymore. He doesn't have it anymore, but he does have it in real life. And that's what makes it extra sentimental to him. I think the one thing that makes uh, that is most famous though is uh, for his LED screen Jaeger visor, which uh, oh, I don't yeah. know. I'm trying to picture this guy sitting in his his workshop and thinking, "This needs some more LEDs in it. This needs some RGB. This <laughs> needs. I need to actually code a piece of software to make this work." And yeah, incredibly impressive. So, fun fact about Killamaze, uh, he actually DM'd me on Twitch one day, randomly, when I had just started streaming, and he had reached out to me, and, you know, he, because we were talking in my stream about, like, how to get started as a content creator, and this was back when he had, like, the Halo number seven logo, like, from Halo 2 or Halo 3, I can't remember what it was, and he basically said, like, I'm an Xbox content creator, blah, blah, you know, like, I struggle to get traction, I don't really know what to do, you know, I've only been making videos for, like, a couple months now, and I just said to him, I was like, I hate to be honest with you, but, like, you gotta move off a console, like, you've gotta make the transition to PC and carve out a niche, and I was like, you also need to think to yourself, like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And I said, you know, like, are you just another guy that's uploading clips onto YouTube? Like, congratulations, there's thousands of those. What sets you apart? And he turned towards doing cosplay. And I have no clue if I can take any credit for that. I don't want to, even if I can. <laughs> but I still think it was really cool because I can proudly say, like, I knew him before he was famous. Oh, you're, you're pulling <laughs> that card on you. So I knew him when he was I knew him when he was cool. Before he was cool. I knew him before he was cool. Killamaze is an awesome dude. We're really lucky to have him in the community. He's he's overall he's he's a great guy. And if you get a chance to meet him and, and get a picture with him and say hi, do so at live events. Dude's dude's awesome. So we're uh, we're kind of nearing the end of the episode now, and we've been going for about twice as long as I told you we were going to go for Parker. But you haven't been waving yeah. the red flag or anything, so we've just been steamrolling no, on. It's been fun. Oh, good. Well, it's I'm glad. Fun. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about um, else? I, I know that you're you like talking, Parker. Is there any other topic that you wanted to go through, or any of you guys, before we kind of start to wrap things up? Yeah, the U.S. presidency. Ah, uh, okay. No, uh, that's enough for tonight. Thank you guys oh, no. for tuning in. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Uh, nothing really, but I did, I, I feel like it, it, we actually talked about this, Cthulhu and I spoke about this before we even got started, is that, James, I remember when you guys reached out to me ages ago, inquiring about my availability for this, and, and due to scheduling, I wasn't able to make it on, and I've, you know, I've had a chance to, I've had a chance to catch episodes here and there, watch your episode with Lycan uh, as well, I Love that man. I'll watch anything Lycan does. Um, I think that was last week's show as well. Yep. Um, because now my now my timeline actually like like my schedule actually makes sense to watch them. But um, Rainbow Six has a major deficit when it comes to like peripheral media, and that's things like podcasts, that's things like news articles, uh, that's things like in depth looks and strategies and stuff like that. We're starting to see it pick up. Uh, guys like Chaos uh, Reaper's been doing a lot of good work. Caliber Jacobs been doing good work. Emzo has seen like a renewed passion in doing like dedicated operator breakdowns uh, Sternab came out with like some blueprints and stuff like that for people to be able to use and of course CGG is still pumping things out uh, at, a, at a very respectable click but uh, for me looking back and, and I'm old enough in this scene to remember Talking Siege was one of the first big podcasts esports talk shows etc that we had and I don't know the circumstance under why you're shutting down I am, I am bummed out actually when you messaged me to tell me that this would be the last show 
but there was no way I was missing out on it because Talking Siege has been pivotal for a lot of different people to get a perspective from a region that has often lacked representation in a game that already lacks representation. And I, I think that you guys have done tremendous work. I'm a big fan of, of all of you, and I'm a big fan of the entire ANZ crew. And I just wanted to say thank you, and it is a genuine honor and privilege to be on the show, regardless of whether it's the last episode or not. But even greater to know that you chose me of all people to be the you know the swan song, so to speak, of of Talking Siege. So I just wanted to thank you, and I think that everybody that's everybody that's watching the the hundreds of people that are watching right now should give you all some some credit and praise for doing this on on your own schedule, on your own time, giving up parts of your day. Uh, I'm sure. I think it's like six p.m. for you or five p.m. or something like Ten, that. Ten p.m. actually, and twelve p.m. for Cthulhu in New Zealand. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> well. There's no rest for the wicked, right? So we all work these crazy yeah. hours in esports, and you guys deserve an awful lot of praise for it. So thank you. Thank yeah. you as well. Thank um, you. And Tara actually means a whole lot. Yeah, thanks, mate, for um, for coming on tonight, and uh, yeah, for those kind words. Oh, yes, we did message you a while ago. Yes, that didn't work out. No hard feelings. <laughs> You're a busy man. We're all busy here. And uh, and yes, in chat, there does seem to be a bit of surprise. Yes, this is the last episode of Talking Siege, but it's certainly not the last of content that you'll see on this channel and it's certainly not the last content that you'll see from Cthulhu, from Sky and from me because we're all very much in the community and active and, and, and pumping out stuff. Uh, but I wanted to, to keep the spotlight on you for a minute there Intero. People in the chat, I'm sure a lot of them already know where they can find you but I want, I want you to you know plug the living heck out of everything that you've got. <laughs> So that everyone follows you on everything imaginable. I don't know if you still have MySpace. Make sure you put that out there as well. And make sure <laughs> I, that I can't say I have MySpace. <laughs> and make so. sure that everyone knows where they could keep watching your 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 content individually and also any projects that you're working on. Um, I'm very fortunate to have uh, both the at Intero handle on Twitter now and the Intero name on Twitch. So it's just I N T E R R O on either Twitter or Twitch. Uh, very easy to find me on those ones. Um, it's inactive on Instagram. I'm trying to get it, but this is going to be a longer process, I suspect. Intero on Instagram is, is abandoned. It's not abandoned, but the person who owns the account doesn't use it anymore. Um, but for the time being, it's just Intero Talks, T-A-L-K-S, which is my old Twitter handle. But that's what it is on Instagram. I use Instagram for less esports stuff. I tend to focus Instagram more on like personal, whereas I keep Twitter more for esports. I don't usually delve into my personal life as deep on Twitter um, as I do on, on Instagram. I'd like to try to keep those separated. And then Twitch, I stream daily. I'll probably stream later today before Pro League, for example. And, you know, I have a schedule for the rest of the week. So I do my own content. I know for that uh, ANZ viewers and people in your region might be very challenging because I tend to go live in the late afternoon to evening for many of you, which is morning over here. Um, but I'm always amazed like 5% of my viewership or 4% of my viewership is like Australian, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how to, that's how to find me if you want to find me. So everyone does Parker. Everyone wants to find you. Uh, <laughs> Cthulhu, um, I think this is a, a great opportunity for you to say where, where can people find you, your own channels, your content, any, any projects that you're working on? What's the best way to keep in touch with everything that you're doing? Um, for me, um, probably the best way to keep in touch is either Twitter, which is Cthulhu ANZ. You can see it on, on the uh, stream overlay as well. Um, that's where I mainly hang out and where I will be posting any updates. Um, 
I occasionally, very rarely stream on Twitch, which is once again Cthulhu and Z. We keep in the consistency here, and maybe a few projects will be coming along um, sometime soon to kind of follow up on content stuff. So stay tuned there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much about it, really. There is the Instagram, but it's pretty much half dead at this point. Um, feel free to take a follow Cthulhu Casts, but that's just yeah, that's about it, really. Um, and Sky for any... I know you work on a lot of projects. For those who don't know, Sky doesn't cast that much anymore, but he do, he's observing, so he's behind the camera for a lot of our esports, Premier Esports tournaments locally in ANZ. And um, also runs a lot of projects, especially keen on charity work. So Sky, for any projects you're working on and for anything that you're doing, uh, let people know where they can keep up to date. Um, I'll keep it simple. My Twitter is at SkyCast, so S-K-Y-E... C-A-S-T-S, even though I don't cast, but that's just <laughs> what the Twitter handle is. I haven't got around to changing it yet. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think that's the only real platform I have. Um, I guess Discord is Sky8002 if you want to message me. I'm down to chat. Um, but yeah, I guess more, more so, I just wanted to say to both um, Cthulhu and Dev, it's, it's been a pleasure doing this with you guys, um, and uh, I can't wait to see what the future holds. Yeah, likewise, it's been it's been a long road and we've done a lot of exciting things. Um, and speaking of, you can actually still watch all of our past episodes. We have 75 episodes of Talking Siege and some of them are still relevant. And last week we chatted to Like and we've been talking, especially in the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, episode 65 kind of onwards. We've been talking to a lot of prominent people in the ANZ community and the Global Rainbow Six community as well. So if you go to the at Talking Siege Twitter, you'll see a pinned message that Sky's put up there with links to all of our content, whether that's you want to be listening to it in a podcast format on whatever podcasting platform you use, whether you want to go back through YouTube. We actually have um, all of the VODs already up there. This one will be up there before too long as well, um, but also uh, Twitch as well, Rainbow Six ANZ is where most of our most recent VODs are as well. So if you're keen, if you like this, if you're, if you're just tuning into the show, you thought this was pretty cool, we have some prior episodes that would definitely be worth watching as well. And there is more content coming to Rainbow Six ANZ. Uh, that's number six, Rainbow, number six, ANZ, or Z, if you're from the Americas. And uh, more content will be coming soon. Best thing to do is, is keep up with the Twitter and the Twitch and the YouTube, and that's where uh, a lot of our activity goes on. But... Um, is there anything I guess that, that any of you guys wanted to say before we before we close out? Um, maybe if you guys wanted anything. Where can the people be updated with your activities, Dev? Uh, what are at, your... at, at Dev Marta Casts on uh, on Twitter, <laughs> because unfortunately I don't have at Dev Marta. It's by someone who hasn't posted in about five years, but that's okay. It'd be like that sometimes. Maybe one day I'll get there in Tarot. Look, maybe one day. Uh, and uh, you, just need, on, you just need the entire community to impersonate you and then get messaged by scammers <laughs> trying to fish your account for verification, which alerts Twitter to your presence. Can, can someone please there. Someone please do that? Can I, can I please have that? was half a hell of, the, of a day. I'll say that. Can I have half the Rainbow Six community please impersonate <laughs> me so I can get verified? Thank you. <laughs> um, funnily enough, I do have the at DevMarta uh, Uplay name and uh, Twitch name. But uh, I don't stream very often. So if you want to keep up to date with what I'm doing, Ooh, watch... Thanks, stream. bro. Dude, I have so <laughs> much stuff to do in my day-to-day. -day. Oh, <laughs> boy. All right. Uh, Rainbow Six, twitch.tv slash Rainbow Six. You'll find uh, myself there on the ANZ broadcast. You'll find Parker and the rest of his boys there on the, uh, on the other broadcasts. So 
uh, yeah, that's that's the really the thing I would want to plug and this Rainbow Six mm. ANZ channel for any future content. But um, that's about it. I just want to say um, to everyone who's watching, thank you. Whether you're a returning viewer who's watched Talking Siege since its genesis, way back when our graphics was... I, I made it in a free graphics software and it was actually disgusting. It was yellow and maroon colored and it was so ugly, but we loved it. If you've been watching since then, hats off to you for sticking around despite those graphics. If you're just tuned in today, thank you guys for, for coming along and I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you had a nice time. And uh, that, that's that's pretty much it. Thank you everyone for watching. Make sure that you follow Rainbow6ANZ on Twitter and we'll see you guys next time. There won't be a next time. <laughs> Thanks, Sky. Good night, everyone. Uh...